0: That's right, here we go again with an all-new season of Pick Six Movies. You know, the podcast where each season we select six, yes, six movies that are all related to one single theme. And then, on each episode, we explore the people in front of and behind the camera to try to make sense of how and why each of the movies were made. And then, on top of all that, we give you a detailed review of the entire movie to see if they're any good. You know, that Pick 6 Movies podcast. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with the one, the only, Mr. Bo Ransdell, we break the seal on this season's theme. Not that one, this one. Where we are examining six movies, no, not those six movies, these six movies, that are all remakes. Remakes reboots, and reimaginations of other movies that are definitively better than the movies we are going to pack into this season. This is episode one of season eight, featuring the eighth wonder of the world, King Kong. No, not that one. This is the one with Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange and Charles Grodin? You know, the good one. Everybody here at Pick 6 Movies Productions voted for which movies to include in this season, and overwhelmingly, this movie was at the top of the list of films to include in this sextet of featured films. Mostly because Bo voted over and over and over again, and he was the one who counted up all the votes from the box that we keep in the break room. And speaking of Bo, let's turn this inaugural episode over to him as he provides us with an introduction that is larger than life, bigger than the imagination, and filled with abducted primate rage as he introduces us to King Kong. No, not that one. This one.
1: As the old saying goes, there's nothing new under the sun. Despite these seemingly recent complaints, recent geologically speaking, of course, of movie remakes, one wonders, isn't remaking movies what Hollywood has always done? Take Ben-Hur, please. The Oscar-winning film from 1959 is considered a landmark in modern cinema and at the time was the second-highest grossing film of all time. But did you know that Ben-Hur the Charlton Heston chariot-infused masterpiece, is actually a remake of the 1925 film of the same title. And that film was a remake of the 1907 silent short also called Ben-Hur, and they remade it again in 2016. In fact, the very first remake was The Great Train Robbery way back in 1903. Not only was it the first telling of the thrilling tale outlined in the movie's title, It was among the first films to feature cross-cut editing and all sorts of cinematic tricks we now take for granted as movie viewers. It was so influential, they of course had to remake it. The very next year. That's right, the first movie to be remade was remade, rebooted, and reimagined in the same calendar year as the original. And then it was remade again in 1941, and again in 1978, and again as a miniseries in 2013 which leaves out the other TV movie remakes in 2009, 2012, and 2013, two of them in the same year. As for cinematic remakes, the grand prize winner of the most times a single film story has been committed to film stands at seven, a title held by A Christmas Carol. That, of course, ignores the countless TV versions of the story. On average, every successful movie is remade about every 23 years, which means there's at least one more version of Star is Born that'll be made that I'll never have to see. And so, given the long history of remakes, it should come as little surprise that in 1976, Universal Pictures released their version of King Kong, 43 years after the Big Ape first appeared. Kong was conceived by Marion C. Cooper and Edgar Wallace, a natural extension of so-called Jungle Movies of the era. Keep in mind, this is the 1920s and early 30s, a time when most people had no access to nature documentaries, or zoos for that matter, and film itself was a relatively new invention, geologically speaking. In 1913, Beasts in the Jungle appeared in theaters, the first of its type. This was followed by Tarzan of the Apes and The Lost World, the latter of which would employ stop-motion animation, that presaged the rise of Kong. There was Chang, a drama of the wilderness, and Rango in 1931, but the real genesis of Kong might have been a movie by the name of Ingaji, released in 1930. Ingaji was a faux-documentary following Sir Hubert Winstead, an Englishman on expedition in the Belgian Congo. In the film, Winstead discovers a tribe of gorilla-worshipping natives who perform a ritual in which the local tribeswomen are given to gorillas as sex slaves. Also, these tribeswomen were just white actresses in blackface. Yes, all of that is just as racist as it sounds, but it was also a huge hit. While no one liked to admit it, the success of Ingagi is the major reason RKO Pictures invested in calm. Women in peril plus monkeys, the equation goes, equals money. By the way, Engaji cannot be seen on video to the best of my knowledge, though nitrate negatives of the film are held in the Library of Congress, which is probably for the best. Marion Cooper, one of Kong's literary fathers, had been obsessed with primates since childhood. He devoured books on the subject of Africa's big apes and then, in 1929, Cooper got a first-hand look at a colony of baboons while shooting a film called The Four Feathers in Africa. A writer, producer, and director, Cooper imagined a tale of giant apes battling Komodo dragons equally oversized, but his imagination and the technology at the time were at complete odds. It was only when Marion Cooper went to work for RKO Pictures that he was given free reign to make any old film he wanted. His first was an adaptation of the story The Most Dangerous Game, in which humans are hunted on a jungle island an enormous jungle set was built for the picture, which would later be used for Kong. The director of The Most Dangerous Game was a guy by the name of Ernest Shotsack, who would direct the dialogue-heavy scenes of Kong as well. Willis O'Brien, the guy who had done the stop-motion work for the aforementioned The Lost World, was hip-deep in miniatures for a movie called Creation, in which castaways are stranded on an island of dinosaurs. While Creation was ultimately shelved due to soaring production costs and a lack of enthusiasm by test footage of the stop-motion dinosaurs, Cooper realized that his vision of a mighty ape wreaking havoc could be achieved by using Willis O'Brien's stop-motion technology and the jungle set already built for the most dangerous game. And so Cooper named his giant ape Kong and began work on a project to give the big monkey life. King Kong may have had several fathers, but all the big galoot really needed was a mom. And that's where Ruth Rose comes in. She was the wife of Ernest Schoetzeck, director of The Most Dangerous Game, and pal to Miriam Cooper. While Cooper and mystery author Edgar Wallace were slated to write the script, Wallace died shortly after the first draft was done, leaving much work to be done on the rewrites. Cooper couldn't wrangle Kong alone and hired a number of writers to try their hand at the script, which netted new scenes that have become iconic, like the island natives, the giant wall, and female sacrifices. But the script was, frankly, a mess. Though she had never written a script before, Ruth Rose was called in to edit, trim, and generally make the screenplay, you know, good. And that's just what she did. Taking a myriad of rewrites and disparate ideas, she crafted the script into what we see today. A deceptively simple story of a big monkey and his poor decisions and romantic partners, resulting in a tumble from the Empire State Building and the pronouncement, "'Twas beauty killed the beast." While the script is good, and I genuinely think it is, it's the special effects of Willis O'Brien and his assistant, the enviably named Buzz Gibson, that made the movie a smash success. The effects team used matte paintings, and rear projections, and miniatures, and of course stop motion, to bring Kong and the inhabitants of Skull Island to life. If you are unfamiliar with stop motion, it works like this. You have a wire-based model, for example that of a giant ape, and you take a snapshot. You move the model ever so slightly, and you take another picture. You do that, oh, a few thousand times or so, and string the pictures together, and boom, instant calm. It is painstaking, meticulous work, and the product of real artistry. While the effects look positively quaint in a modern context, at the time, no one had seen anything like it. It was the avatar of its day, and it was just as successful in relative terms. If you've never seen the original King Kong, I implore you to do so. It is a movie that not only tells a solid story, but it's a miracle of its time and resonates even now. Pick 6 cinematic bard Roger Ebert said of the original Kong, quote, In modern times, the movie has aged, as critic James Berardinelli observes, and advances in technology and acting have dated aspects of the production. Yes, but in the very artificiality of some of the special effects, there is a creepiness that isn't there in today's slick, flawless, computer-aided images. Even allowing for its slow start, wooden acting, and wall-to-wall screaming, there is something ageless and primeval about King Kong that still somehow works." I couldn't agree more, and would add that if you don't allow yourself joy, seen seeing this model monkey brought to life through all the cinematic tricks at the creator's hands, if you can't allow your imagination to see Kong as a living, breathing thing for even an instant, well, I kinda pity you some. And I wish we had time to discuss the attempts to relaunch Kong in the 50s and 60s, and how Kong eventually found his way onto a Pacific island to fight Godzilla, but that's gonna have to remain a story for another day, or if you'll indulge me, you can hear about that on another show I do, Called Hero Hero Go Show, which is focused on Asian horror movies, and there is a whole episode there on King Kong vs. Godzilla and how that weirded out pairing came to be. For now, let's make a lateral move to Italy. Around the end of 1919, a century ago as of this recording, in Torre Annuncia, Campania, Italy, Augustino Dolorentis was born. His father owned a pasta factory, and Augustino, known as Dino Forevermore, sold spaghetti for the family business. But his heart wasn't in the pasta he sold, no, Dino was a dreamer and had fallen head over heels with the nascent art of cinema. As soon as he could, he abandoned the family business and started his own production company called Dino De Laurentiis Cinematografica. He was set to release his first film, Ultimo Combatimento, when World War II broke out and interrupted his dreams of film success. After the war in 1949, Dino produced a movie called Bitter Rice, which earned some critical and financial success. And then things got even better when he partnered with filmmaker Carlo Ponti for a string of hits in Italy, but that partnership would later dissolve, leaving Dino on his own again determined more than ever to make films that were true spectacles. While Dino's dreams of grand productions rose, Italy was headed the other direction. The economy was flagging, and his next few films were financial bombs, leaving him unable to produce the kinds of big movies he wanted to make. But he didn't let something like financial failure stop him. There was a place for men like Dino, men with a dream of something great. In the mid-1970s, Dino left Italy and moved to America, and found near instant success as a producer of classic 70s films like Serpico and Three Days of the Condor and Death Wish. But Dino was a dreamer. He wanted to unleash all that modern film was capable of. A real spectacle. And what bigger spectacle than the eighth wonder of the world himself, King Kong. The decision to remake Kong was met with a similar reaction as you might expect today. How dare you remake a classic, you're just gonna ruin it. But Dino had a message
2: for detractors. I studying, I work in every frame, but when I see the final, at the end of the picture, cut together, I receive a shock too, Mm. and I come touching. Because Kong working this movie like a human being, his expression, his eyes, he looks like a human being. This is the reason you cry at the end. A women cry, you know why? Because Kong is capable to die for his his women. For his love. For his love.
1: Yep, from old Dino's point of view, what the original Kong lacked was an emotional hook, and he was gonna show audiences a Kong unlike any they could ever imagine. A real, say it with me, spectacle. It would be an enormous project, both in cost and scale of production, including a full-sized working animatronic model of Kong. Veteran creature wizard Carlo Rambaldi was hired to build the Big Monkey, along with the relatively inexperienced Rick Baker, who would later achieve godlike status in the effects world for his work on An American Werewolf in London still the finest werewolf transformation in film history. But this would be a tough production to say the least. As an associate of De said at the time, though, quote, Dino is never happier than in a King Kong situation where the stakes are enormous, where he can win or lose everything, end quote. And it was almost over before it began. Now, here we get into some he said, he said arguments over the veracity of the legal battle that would follow, and you can either believe future Disney chairman, Michael Eisner, who said he saw the original on television in 1974, and idly mentioned making the movie to Sid Scheinberg, who was president of MCA Universal. Scheinberg then passed the idea, just a notion really, that someone should remake King Kong to his pal Barry Diller, who just so happened to be president of Paramount Pictures. Independent of one another, Scheinberg and Diller began developing their own Kong projects, with Paramount Stiller enlisting the services of our friend Dino, and Scheinberg tapping a TV producer named Hunt Stromberg Jr. Dino says none of that mattered, because the idea was all his, spawned when he saw the original Kong's poster on his daughter's wall. But regardless, both studios were up to giant monkey business, and that meant securing the rights from Kong's original studio RKO Pictures. On April 15, 1975, representatives of both studios met with Daniel O'Shea, an attorney for RKO. Both representatives, neither of which knew the other was going to be there, left their respective meetings with the impression that they now held the rights to King Kong. O'Shea says the Universal attorney, called here Arnold Shane because that was his name, never had a deal and Paramount didn't know anything about Universal's plans for a Big Monkey movie until they signed the paperwork securing the rights in May of 1975. They'd even set a release date for the movie, December 1976. Universal, though, had already hired a screenwriter and director for their version, which would be called The Legend of King Kong. When they found out Paramount was making a Kong film, they sued, insisting they obtained a verbal agreement to secure the rights, and, they said, The original novelization was published in the 1930s, which made the whole thing public domain anyway, so Paramount could go suck on a banana. Paramount and Dino De Laurentiis countersued for $90 million and rushed their version of Kong into production, ensuring that whatever happened, their movie would be released first. Put into a bad spot, Universal asked to collaborate on the film, but Dino wanted neither their script, which Universal insisted on, nor did he want to give up merchandising rights which universal demanded placed in a losing position universal blinked stating quote, "universal intends to produce and release a king kong film under optimum production and distribution conditions subsequent to the dolorenthus film release" but all that legal maneuvering had placed dino in the position to rush into production a movie that was budgeted 16 million dollars a big chunk of change at the time Including the construction of a working 40 foot tall Kong. Carlo Rambaldi, the effects guy who is best known as the designer of ET, likened building the giant mechanical Kong to the space race in the 60s. There was a fixed date and all hands were on deck to build something that would work, except it didn't. Like the famously broken mechanical shark from Jaws, the Big Kong barely worked at all. The dream was a giant ape covered in Argentinian horsehair that could literally move around the set. This was, as they say, impossible. Along with the giant ape, Rambaldi built giant arms to be used for close-ups as Kong sees Juan, the heroine of the film, in a rubber suit that would ultimately be worn by Rick Baker, though several others were auditioned to play Kong in the suit. Baker said they couldn't find anyone else stupid enough to wear the suit. Oh, they also built giant arms, independent of the non-functional full-size model, which were their own nightmare. When Dino was invited to set to see the first test of the mechanical arms, the technicians had the fist close and then extend a single middle finger, giving Dino De Laurentiis the bird. De Laurentiis died laughing, but it was less amusing when the mechanical arm refused to work further, freezing the middle finger in place for about a week while they fixed it. In addition to technical troubles, there was some concern too over the casting of Jessica Lang, who had never acted before. She was a model, and after seeing her own performance in the film, Lang would take a three-year hiatus from the movie business just to take acting lessons. She is now, of course, a legend. Honestly, watch her in that coven season of American Horror Story and tell me she isn't just a gift to mankind. So, with a script by Three Days of the Condors' Lorenzo Simple Jr., Dino tapped John Gillerman to direct, who had scored big with The Towering Inferno in 1974. If Gillerman could wrangle all those egos on that set, Dino thought, one giant ape should be no problem. A young Jeff Bridges and his beard were cast as Jack Driscoll, the film's environmentalist hero, along with Charles Grodin as the villainous oil company representative Fred Wilson. Both were minor stars in their own right, and there are a ton of recognizable faces in the cast, as befitting a major Hollywood production of the time. But the star was Kong, and Rick Baker was credited with, quote, "...contributions by Rick Baker," despite his near-constant presence on screen in the Kong suit. Baker later lamented the fact that with all the money spent on the giant mechanical Kong that never worked, they could have made a rubber ape suit to end all rubber ape suits, one that truly mimicked the look and posture of a real giant ape, but it was not to be. Still, there were multiple masks designed with wires rigged to give the big guy a variety of expressions, and I would argue the team acquitted itself well in that regard. The production was naturally a nightmare, between mechanical problems, Lang's insecurity as a first-time performer, and grand sets to be built and utilized in a hurry. By the end of the shoot, when Kong is finally in New York and breaking out of his cage, Groden said director John Gillerman had lost about 20 pounds and could be seen, quote, gazing off vacantly at some distant, unseen point in space. Ling would emerge from the production quite battered after being abused by the mechanical hands that would squeeze too hard or punch her with gestures generated by manic machine operators trying to get the damn things to work. When the film finally released, it was met with some harsh criticism for its campiness, for the seeming lack of respect for the source material, for any number of things. But it was a hit. It tripled its budget worldwide and was one of the biggest films of both 1976, where it was second, and 1977, where it was fifth. Ling would win a Golden Globe for Best Debut, and the movie would win an Oscar for Effects and then get nominations for Sound and Cinematography. And perhaps that's the story of this Kong: Grand in design, imperfect in execution, yet somehow more than just a remake. It is the grand realization of Dino's spectacle, however flawed. And, like all remakes, it was derided for its mere existence, and, like many more, became legendary in its own right. But, is this Kong really as broken as the mechanical ape featured here? Is Jessica Ling really that bad in it, that she should have taken a three-year hiatus? Is Jeff Bridges' beard deserving of its own credit? For these answers and more, let's get our resident primate expert Chad in here for a climb up the Dino De Laurentiis spectacle... Nineteen seventy six King Kong. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to season eight of pick six movies i am bo ranstall with me as always chad cooper hello bo howdy so uh chad first of all uh welcome back to a new season it feels
0: good doesn't it you know things are kind of tight they're kind of loose we're getting into the groove we're figuring out what's going on it has that new season smell it does it does
1: which by the end just smells like poop
0: Yes, it usually does for us. But I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you, this
1: season in particular, I think is going to have a healthy mix of, of movies that are, in the words of Bart Simpson, creptacular, and, and some movies that I think we both, if not enjoy, at least appreciate on some level.
0: Yeah, we had talked to a lot of people, and by a lot, like three. No, we talked to people who listen to our show, and the theme of remakes and reboots and you know reimaginations constantly came up as a theme for a particular season of our show, and so we really hand-selected six movies that you and I are both passionate about and interested in. And I'm really excited about this season. There's a lot of really good, mostly contemporary films that we're going to be able to kind of dive into and 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 tear apart and chew up and probably vomit out on the floor.
1: Yes. And so we call this season, not that one, this one. And we start, of course, with Kong, the the Grand Ape. Of uh, remake movies because there have been to wit about three versions of the film. If you if you forget the Japanese movies and you forget uh, King Kong Lives, which was sort of a sequel to the movie we're going to be talking about tonight, and there was the classic 1933 King Kong, which is a, a fantastic film and a landmark of of cinema. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was the later Peter Jackson King Kong, mm-hmm. which. I would argue is over long, but not a bad movie.
2: <laughs> I, I, I agree.
1: And then we have this movie, which sits uh, in between the two and is almost I- equidistant from them. Chronologically speaking, um, a little closer to the modern uh, Jackson remake, but not that much really. And the 1976 King Kong uh, directed by John Gillerman, it is produced, of course, by the estimable Dino De Laurentiis, mm-hmm. um, who made everything.
0: And ha- had you did you see this when we were kids? I I saw it on television when it aired. I believe on NBC. I actually had a King Kong stuffed animal mm-hmm. that was affiliated with this film, but I hadn't seen it. You know, I'm probably. 15 years really you know kind of as an adult to really take a critical eye to it and walking away from the movie the thing that really resonated with me is that you can't spell rape without ape <laughs> yeah yeah there's one scene that you're like man if this would not fly
1: these days
0: no sir sir
1: no <laughs> right somebody would be like uh where
0: is his finger going <laughs>
1: Aside from the rapiness of the movie, which is I is this
0: the rapiest movie that we've reviewed on this no. show? No, Be- hold on, because Stroker Ace had a lot of rape so and Basic Instinct. T- basic, well, you know, Basic Instinct had rape. There was a there was a lot of rape in that. Yes, Ten had kind of rape. You know what? Yeah, this movie's fine. This is PG PG thirteen rape. We've dealt with. R-rated rape. If you took away the fingering scene, as
1: uh, I'm sure it was it was uh, called in the <laughs> script, if you take that away, it's just <laughs> more of a 10-level obsession uh, w- without as much, you know, weird drug use. Although there is right. drug use. So we have that. Yes,
0: there... <laughs> You know, any movie review that involves the comment, if you take away the fingering scene, dot, 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 you're in troubled territory, my friend.
1: Are you? Or are you just riding in the high country?
0: No, you're not. You're clearly hanging out with the weirdos and the perverts and the lowlifes and the tranks. It's not good.
1: I'll tell you, not only did I see this movie in the theater. And not only did I see it multiple times on on television, I think it it hit HBO at some point. I watched it every time it came on, I think. Not only did all of that happen, I had the Viewmaster uh, slides of this film (laughs) that really brought Kong to life. And uh, I still have that Viewmaster. The last time I bought slides for it was Body of Evidence starring uh, Madonna was the last Viewmaster slides I got for it, which were, you know, an attempt, I think, to court an older audience uh, with a Viewmaster. Do you have body
0: of evidence Viewmaster slides? No, of course not, Chad. That's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I know that you're into a lot of weird stuff, and that did not seem beyond the pale. I was like, you're ordering shit from japan and and sweden and germany you call me up and you're like hey man in tanzania did you know you can go to blu-ray copy of the outtakes of the wizard of oz where all the munchkins are holding some sort of backwoods death battle i'm like that sounds legit sure i'll watch that how much do you need it's eight thousand dollars (laughs) no i'm not giving you a grambo i was really excited i
1: uh... To what, what Chad, of course, is referring to here is that in order to see this film in pristine Blu-ray quality, uh, which is not available in the United States, I ordered a Blu-ray of King Kong from Germany, which was shipped to me. I got uh, some crazy German virus for about three days after opening the package. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw this version of King Kong on Blu-ray for the first time. And, you know, much like a lot of Blu-rays of movies of this era, high definition is not kind <laughs> no! to King Why Kong. would you do that? Because I wanted to see. <laughs> and, like, some of it's fine. I still say a lot of the, like, the miniature work and, and Rick Baker in the monkey suit, all that is fine for me. But some of the matte shots where it's like, oh, here's, you know, Baker in the monkey suit... And here in the corner is a cutout where you see some people moving around. That doesn't match up real good. Yeah, so I, I unabashedly love this version of King Kong. It was the first version of King Kong I ever saw. <laughs> Watching it today, not this very day, but, you know, ge- geologically speaking, a tick of the clock, that when I watched this movie, I still have the... That well of nostalgia. And I think this is where my love of kaiju films came from, really. It was... This is ground zero for me loving big monsters tromping around on buildings.
2: Yeah. So... You and I are very different people.
1: We we are... This is very much a (laughs) come-inside-bo's-mind episode. (laughs) Because you're going to talk about how shitty this movie is, and it's undeniably (laughs) shitty. And I'm going to be like, I know, Chad. Wasn't it amazing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's jump into this yes. one. I'm excited to talk about it. It's going to be good.
1: Yeah, so we we open, Chad, uh, like all good uh, <laughs> all good movies, with a voyage mm-hmm. uh, where we see a, a Petrox ship. Petrox is the oil company, the fake oil company that we'll be referencing throughout the show. Um, it
0: sounds like a name from the Flintstones, you know? Right. But the cars in the Flintstones, they were powered by caveman feet and not an oil
1: company. A little bit of trivia here, Chad. The name is actually a play on the fad of Pet Rocks of the 70s.
0: My note is, maybe Pet Rocks was inspired by Pet Rocks, which peaked in its popularity during Christmas of 1975. People bought rocks as pets. It was a fad, like Beanie Babies, or Fidget Spinners, or Nationalism. You know what? Maybe you should leave that in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a moral lesson in there. (laughs) With the first line of dialogue we get in this movie comes from none other than Jack O'Hallorhan, who is this big bearded guy. And he's the number three bad dude from Superman 2. And for a little bit, he was at the beginning of Superman 1. And O'Hallorhan in real life, he was like this real deal boxer back in the day. And he gained some notoriety as a heavyweight fighter in California. And in this movie, O'Hallorhan, this, you know, thick jawed, big brawny guy he's playing a character named joe perco and he's an oil driller and working alongside him is this black man and i think his name is bone
1: yeah it, maybe yeah yeah yeah. it's a Boam b-o-a-m i believe
0: and <laughs> I, I don't know yeah there's there so many characters in this movie we'll do our best to try to keep them they
1: all straight. fall off a fucking log in about 20 minutes <laughs> so it doesn't matter renee aubeau genois of benson fame
0: mm-hmm. and he played clayton runnymede Endicott the third right he was <laughs> i i think odo on star trek deep space nine he was father mulcahy in the film version of mash
1: yeah i mean anyway you've seen him in this he is playing a bagley who is sort of the the scientist for the the pitch voyage
0: yeah he's kind of the number two to our main let's call him bad guy yeah it will
1: get to the delightful charles groden here <laughs> in a moment but
0: yeah the these kind of
1: rough and tumble workers, like not Richard Keel and the other dude are, are like, Hey, we don't have enough fucking pipes, man. And they're like, Hey Bagley, we ain't got enough pipes. And he's like, no, 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 that's going to be plenty. Because if we, if we don't get the samples that we need with the pipes that we're bringing, then this whole trip is a bust
0: anyway.
2: Right.
1: Which, which sets up the idea that what this ship is going to do is they're going out to sort of dr- test drill for oil.
0: Right. Right. Because this is 1976, and the oil crisis was happening across the United States.
1: Yeah, I I suppose it's worth mentioning, because they bring it up a couple of times in the film, that uh, for younger listeners, and by younger listeners, I mean really everyone but us... There was, uh, in the 1970s, there was a giant energy crisis and oil shortage. And there were, like, lines of cars waiting to get gas and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm -hmm. this is all set at a time when finding oil was a big deal. And then we introduce the... Our hero? I mean, for lack of a better... The hero is kind of Kong. Kind of? And then (laughs) we have the beard and hair... Of Jeff Bridges, who looks, he looks like the fucking cowardly lion went on, you know, a severe diet.
0: He looks like Dr. Zaius from Planet of the Apes.
1: Yes. And he rolls up out of a cab and pretends to be drunk. And I'm still completely, or not completely sure what the plan is. I guess it's, uh, like, i he's bribing his way onto the ship. But I don't understand why the drunk act is necessary.
0: He stumbles over to this security guard and drops this stack of cash. And then the guards like, OK, you can go in. And then for me, upon initial viewing, I sadly, I kind of bought uh, Jack's drunk facade. And I thought, oh, that poor, poor alcoholic man has dropped all his money. However, will he be able to buy more vodka in the morning to keep his sweating in check and his uncontrollable handshakes to a
2: minimum?
1: But instead, uh, he's fine because he immediately just like monkey crawls up a giant rope onto the ship. And it's actually pretty athletic. Like, Jeff Bridges in this movie is just a golden god. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, he is swinging from ladders and trees and all kinds of stuff. He's part
0: ape himself. But for me, Jeff Bridges forever and always will be the Jeff Bridges of today. No matter what role I see him in, he will be that strange real life adaptation of Rooster Cogburn from True Grit, which is pretty much who he is in every interview I've seen since... True Grit came out. And look, I know a lot of people really cherish The Big Lebowski as being this iconic film. I am not a huge fan of The Big Lebowski. The movie never really stuck with me. It's kind of too California hippy-dippy. His real-life interviews these days, he does this kind of like strange Old West Prospector vibe that he can't really seem to shake. And for me... It's so much more gratifying. I saw an interview with him recently
2: and he was like, I think of myself as a trim tab and we're all trim tabs and we may seem like we're not up to the task, but man, we're alive and we can really make a difference. We turn this ship the way we want to go, man, just towards love, creating a healthy planet for all of us. And you're just like, what is he talking about? You grew up in Malibu.
0: Yeah. Why are you talking this way? It's like when he was doing the Rooster Cogburn
1: performance, somebody slapped him on the back and he stuck that way.
0: (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, who just hit me? Well, I guess it's just how I am now. (laughs) My Jeff Bridges is essentially Rip Torn. A little watered just Rest down. in peace, yep. Yeah. Right. But periodically, you have to throw in a cat meow because when you hear Jeff Bridges talk and someone throws out an
2: interesting idea, he meows like a cat. He'll be like, like, um, me and my brother, Bo, we're working on a film about, uh, Appalachian, uh, coal mines and um we're working on this and it's about coal breakers with the apaches and uh how they really struggled um in their their uh, cultures and how they went through that <laughs>
0: <laughs> well so this old prospector sneaks onto the
1: boat as, as the ship is preparing to shove off and we we have a moment where the captain uh who is just an old man you've seen in a bunch of movies if you ever hold, saw a movie. hold on the
0: cap the captain of this ship is clark griswold's dad from christmas vacation yes aka john randolph and that's the only thing i know him from
1: oh he's been in. uh <laughs> Like if you ever watch television from like 1980 to 1984, (laughs) he was a guest star and also the killer. (laughs) and so he's there with the hero as far as i'm concerned of the movie charles groden and he's like "You're here here." we ought to wait before shoving off because there's a big weather storm coming in a weather storm what other kind there's a big tarantula storm coming in Mm -hmm. so we should probably wait
0: let me ask you a question you know in the history of movies there have been a lot of great villains that have truly sinister names you know, you think Voldemort, uh-huh. um, Nurse Ratched, uh-huh. Jaws, Hann- Hannibal Lecter, uh-huh. Hans Gruber, hell, Darth Vader. And in this movie, King Kong, we truly get the greatest villain name of all times, Fred Wilson. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fred, w- Fred Wilson, as played by yeah. Charles Gruber. Groden. Right, Charles
1: Groden is a more threatening name than Fred Wilson. <laughs> Look out is a more threatening name than either
0: of those. Yeah, it it's an unfortunate choice. <laughs> for those who don't know who Charles Groden is, one, I feel sorry for you because yes. he is a brilliant comedic actor when he's in the right role. Nobody does contempt better than charles groden the movie midnight run with charles groden and robert de niro is one of the funniest movies i have ever seen period yeah and the
1: fact that in midnight run de niro's name is jack it, and <laughs> jeff bridge's name in this movie is jack so through a good i don't know 40 percent of this movie what i'm hearing is jack jack shut the fuck up why aren't you popular with the paleontologist jack why don't you why, why don't you shut the fuck up. I got two words for you, shut the fuck up. Anyway, yeah, it's it, he's brilliant in Midnight Run and there are flashes of that here. There are a couple of scenes where he gets to be
0: like full Groden and it's mm-hmm. it's wonderful. We'll get to it. So Back in the day when Bo and I were younger men, Charles Grodin actually had a talk show on CNBC. This was in like the mid 90s, mid to late 90s. And Bo, do you remember that you used to come to me with impressions of celebrities that were both terrible and fantastic at the same time? Yes.
1: Yes. And I, I
0: did a Grodin. It was <laughs> it was during the heyday of the O.J. Simpson trial where every day it was just wall to wall O.J. Simpson coverage and I clearly remember you coming to me one day and you said I can I've got a new impression it's Charles Groden and I was like all right let, hit, hit me with it and you would always sort of like tussle your hair you know, like you were getting into character. Sure. And then like, like you would lower your face like you had taken some sort of bullshit acting course. And then you looked up at me and you simply just went, oh, Simpson, <laughs> And it was one of the funniest fucking moments of my life. It is in the 10 funniest moments of my life. I laughed so hard at you doing Charles Grodin because <laughs> I'd never seen anybody do it before. And for that, I thank you. You are very welcome.
1: When I, to this day... I don't necessarily do a specific Groden, but every time I kind of half smile and shake my head dismissively, that is me doing Groden.
0: It's just contempt with a little bit of a punchline. It's, it. It, it is
1: bemused cynicism. It is <laughs> is Charles Groden to a T?
0: And you know what, dear listeners, if you could aspire to anything in life, it truly should be bemused cynicism. Right. That implies you know what's
1: going on and it's <laughs> awful, but you're just not taking it that seriously.
0: <laughs> if you don't know who Charles Grodin is at all and you need a visual for what he looks like in this movie just imagine louis ck with one and a half inch wide earlobe link sideburns and clearly dyed dark brown hair yes
1: yes and the kind of mustache that you associate with your finer pedophiles (laughs) he
0: does not look good in this movie
1: he doesn't and and there's a safari outfit he has in particular that makes him look like he should be handing out candy to the neighborhood kids and not not in a good way of course so after charles groden is is presented with like hey we shouldn't leave because the storm is blowing in he's just like just get going just shut up and so they they decide they're gonna they're gonna shove off and then there's a really nice moment here where I like the music in this movie which was done uh conducted by John Barry composed and conducted by John Barry
0: yeah John Barry was John Williams before John Williams was John Williams yeah <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I mean, John Barry did the music for every James Bond movie in the 70s and the 80s. He later scored Dances with Wolves, among many other films. And the music in this movie, to your point, is excellent. Yeah. And credit where credit is due, the filmmakers of this movie know when to use music and when to let a scene take place against a quiet background with just ambient sound. The, the sound production of this movie is excellent and really carries the film in many ways on its shoulders.
1: Yeah. Unlike like a lot of the crap movies we talked about last season this Uh movie is genuinely all of them yeah (laughs) genuinely well directed well shot good score good sound like good performers this was a real deal honest to goodness big budget Movie
0: and yeah, there was a moment about twenty minutes into this film. In my notes, I I typed, "I think this may be the best movie we've ever reviewed ever on Pick Six Movies." And then Act Two and Act Three showed up, and I was like, "Well, scratch that out. This is a piece of shit too."
1: I uh, I don't know. I I still I, my heart my heart, Chad is with the ape. um But so so the storm that we heard about from the captain is rolling in. the The ship is being tossed and about on the way and there's a really nice shot here where the camera is moving across the deck as you see water spilling over it and Jeff Bridges just pops up like a fucking meerkat from uh, one of the boat, the life rafts or whatever. And it's just like,
0: man, what's going on out here? I noted the exact same scene because it does such a good job of establishing the peril of the storm. We know where our hero Jack is stowed away on this lifeboat. And then the camera just continues past him into a porthole where we see, you know, one of the, um, the ship workers inside doing his ship worker thing. Right. And
1: they're getting a mayday But the the radio operator can't really get a fix on it. And we, we get a little more of this when we move to the captain's quarters where Fred Wilson and the captain are eating dinner as a bunch of plates are sliding around. And the captain's really having a good time with this where he's like, well, you know, you want to go in the storm and here you are, you know, like
0: trying to chase down your soup like an asshole. Fred Wilson gets up to go somewhere, maybe throw up. Like, is he seasick? I don't know. And then about 15 seconds later, after leaving the room, Fred Wilson comes back and he is covered in either water from the storm or just piss where he went all over himself. There is liquid head to toe all over him. Shirt, pants, face. He's covered. I vote it's piss.
1: It's like somebody, as soon as he walked out the door, just threw a bucket at him. Of urine, possibly. and But while he's gone, the captain gets a call from the, the dude in the radio shack. Not the store that's out right. of business, but the actual mm-hmm. part of the ship. Where the guy's like, hey, we got this Mayday, but I can't get a fix on it. And the captain's like, well, what are you bothering me about it? Well, like, I, wh- so what do you want me to do? And he's like, well, uh, I'll call you if I get a better read or something. He's like, yeah, fine. Just, I'm trying to eat dinner here, man. <laughs> And so and then Charles Grodin uh, strolls back in and the captain is like, you know, I got to be honest with you. I thought that you were kind of a wuss, but I have to admit you're showing a lot of guts for being just some, you know, desk jockey from New York. And this is the point where Charles Grodin tells him, like, look, I, if, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to be wiping windshields. Yeah. and It's it, not, not going to be good for me. I, you know, I've been, I've been working, I've been working and, and this is my big shot. This is, this is where it's all going to happen. Or not. And if it doesn't, I'm taking us all down with me. So we cut to another great Charles Grodin moment where he's giving the big presentation to the crew. It's a, it's really just exposition of like, here's what this movie is about, everybody. <clears throat> where he's got a PowerPoint of, of a fog bank. He's like, hey, here's a picture from 1943. That's a long time ago. 1943. <laughs> and you'll see here it's a, a, fog, a fog bank uh, here. And let me show you another slide, uh, uh, Jimmy. Can you get, hit another slide? All right. Um, and here is that same fog bank. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, Fred, who cares? Same fog bank. Well, this picture was taken two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Nope. take it right back. Thank you. Nope. I ka-ching, ka-ching. You, you've got it you've got it set ka-ching, the carousel ka-ching, ka-ching. if you can no you got to do the manual ka-ching, advance ka-ching, not the carousel the manual advance just ka-ching, just ka-ching. just turn it off turn it off so he he says like this is the part where he kind of groans it up a little bit where he's like look i donated to a certain politician to get these photographs and <laughs> i'm not gonna name names but let's just say his address is 1600 pennsylvania avenue
0: that's where the president lives
1: shut up it was implied
0: just turn it- sorry sorry
1: no i overreacted that time just keep it on manual and then he so he says they got these nasa photos and then as he turns it over to bagley um renee and jeff bridges kind of sneaks into the room and another little touch i like is as soon as he sneaks in he's grabbing some food
0: um, yeah and he's, he's drinking coffee and eating donuts and taking notes, and nobody notices this until Jack just finally starts spouting off, and he's like,
2: maybe the increased CO2 gases from animal respirations. Right. Spanish explorers met the shore's Vatican cover-up. Rumors of weddings to monkeys on this island. <laughs> Read a goddamn book every now and again, you ingrate. Yeah.
1: yeah, and, and Groden is like, uh, who is this again? where did you Groden's like who the hell are you yeah and he's like i'm i'm a primate paleontologist and it's like what (laughs) is that a real job
2: how do i get that job it's not i made that up i wrote my degree on the back of a a denny's child's menu so they they call it into this
1: meeting because we got to interrogate jeff bridges now (laughs) so it's it's charles groden and the captain uh, as well as Ed Lauder, the uh, kind of second mate on the ship, who no. is Cronauer from uh, the original Longest Yard, <laughs> is what I know him from.
0: <laughs> is, is he really? Yeah.
1: He's the he's the main guard, the, the asshole guard oh, from God. the Longest Yard.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one who's not, shit, hold on. I had a joke, but I didn't write it down. Not Craig he's, T. Nelson? He, that's right. He's not Craig T. Nelson. You always think, is that Craig T. Nelson? And it's not. It's not Craig T. Nelson.
1: Right. Because we've got not Richard Keel and not Craig T. Nelson in the same movie.
0: <laughs> Which means it's not going to be very good. right? I did like this scene when they interrogate him because it's good filmmaking. As they're uh, emptying out his duffel bag, we see that Jack, our hero, huh, question mark, has written a book. We find out that, you know. The way that he learned that they were going to this uncharted area was from a friend of his, and it's done very well in showing us his credentials as a academic as well as providing backstory on who he is and why he's there other than being you know a really good impersonator of donkey kong jr
1: the other moment I, this scene i really like is when fred wilson is like how did you know we were even going to this island and he says well, you're buying uh, charts uh, uh back in indonesia <laughs> and the captain is like you know he is right i was buying some charts and Gronish is just <laughs> like would
0: you shut the fuck up <laughs> And then two nameless members of the crew just grab Jack and they pull him out of this holding room and they take him outside and they're going to what, throw him in the ocean? I don't know what their plan is here. It's thoroughly incomprehensible. And then Jack looks off
2: on the horizon and he's like, look out, out in the West, appears to be a young filly riding in a survival craft or some sort. (laughs) And the the guys holding him are like, you know,
0: we're not falling for that old trick. (laughs) but it turns out that in this survival craft is jessica lang and she's wearing this black dinner dress that she got from the sultry sexy formal wash and wear miss tesbacher evening gown collection
1: (laughs) it is from the miss tesbacher collection in both cases it's like is it cold i think i see her
0: nipples (laughs) one of the crew members screams out she's alive and everyone on the ship goes yeah and this cheer is not a hooray she's safe it is a cheer that implies this lady just went out of the frying pan into the fire yes
1: she was safer with the sharks (laughs) and octopi and giant squids and barracuda whatever
0: The, the scorching sun the lack of water you had a better chance of coming out of this physically and emotionally unscathed than being on this ship filled with nasty horny sailors fingers crossed gross joe bank shows up (laughs) with a bunch
1: of luggage strapped together because he is a safer bet than this fully functional
0: ship (laughs) well along those lines best case scenario a jagged lightning bolt comes down from the sky and hits her and kills her and prevents any manner of of ill fate befalling her yeah and not not richard keel
1: immediately pulls her out amidst all the cheers Uh, yeah yeah with seniority right that's who gets her first right and he takes her to a room and is immediately like, "Well, I better get her out of these clothes, right?" The sea captain's like, "Hey, hey,
0: you get out of here with those crazy rape ideas! If anybody's gonna rape this unconscious woman, it's clearly gonna be me." We decided seniority, <laughs> and as the captain of the ship,
1: zip. No, um, they, they. So they're they're going through her pockets looking for loose
3: change. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they find like on her tag there's uh, uh the, the tag of her dress it's like a beverly hills store and they find uh, a matchbook that has the name of a vessel on it, and they're like well that sounds like a yacht because i don't know exposition i suppose
0: <laughs> <laughs> And and then someone runs the fingerprints on jack our hero and they report to Fred Wilson that he's not a spy for Exxon or mobile or shell or BP or whatever oil company might be trying to do in Pet Rocks. So Fred Wilson goes over to Jack and he's like, Jack, Jack, I want you to be the official photographer of this exposition. I'll give you this. will This will give you something to do for the rest of the movie. You can, you can use the litmus configuration if you want and, for lunch we're having chorizo and eggs. For dinner it's a it's a Mexican sausage. It's mixed with I, I, eggs. You can have whatever you want. How how much is how much is the coffee? It's 53 cent. How much is the tea? It's 53 cent. I'll have the tea.
1: For if you don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> you might as well just pause this. Go watch Midnight Run and then come back.
0: <laughs> You'll be all the better for it. He's yeah. so great. He is
1: amazing <laughs> in this. He's like, Jack Jack, we need you to photograph and also you were a, you were a doctor, Jack. You were you were a, a medical student before you were a, a monkey paleontologist. No. Is that right, Jack?
0: No, no. You just he doesn't. I I know. I know. The I know.
1: the best moment in Midnight Run, by the way, <laughs> since we're on the this. subject, is the moment when Uh, They're trying to get, is it train fare? And Robert De Niro is going through his pockets in front of a woman who is selling them the tickets. And as De Niro is going through Charles Grodin's pockets, Grodin looks at the ticket lady and does this shake of his head. (laughs) Like, can you believe this? Like, you and I both know this is just completely out, out of bounds.
0: It's embarrassing for you. It's embarrassing for me. But let's be honest: it's even more embarrassing for him.
1: Right? He is. He is not sufficiently embarrassed for his own behavior. It is. It is to your to use your word. It is such a look of derision. It is one of my favorite things that's ever happened in a movie, and to this day, it, it, it remains so.
0: But let's get back yeah. to this crappy movie.
1: Jeff Richards is like, "How do you know so much about me?" and He's like, Jack, I know everything about you. I, I know the minute and the hour you completed toilet training, Jack. Gross. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, aha, I never completed toilet training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Check and make. So because he was pre-med, he's hired to be the doctor for Juan, as, as it turns
0: out her name is. And uh, so. Yeah, it's not Dawn, D-A-W-N. It's Dwan, D-W-A-N. And with the first two letters, Reversed, you know, dwan as in, do you want another drink? Do you want a Quaalude? dwan was also
1: my grandfather's name, which made this really uncomfortable for me in a number of ways. <laughs> I mean, it was a good Irish name, and 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 not feminine. Uh, but so Jeff Bridges is like, well, you need some smelling salts, <laughs> man, and
0: wakes up <laughs> dwan and she wakes up and she's like, oh my god, where is Harry? Where is everybody? Her performance in this movie is. As if female sexuality came to life on the set of designing women. But designing women feels a little too progressive because she's just like, hey, everybody, it's me, Juan.
1: She is I, but, so like pixie light in this in this movie.
0: But she's got this southern air where all of her dialogue feels like that it should be a slutty version of Scarlett O'Hare. It's this like, I do declare, where are my friends from the yacht? I hope nothing frightfully awful has happened to them. Let me
1: share one other piece of trivia because the story she tells is, I was, I was talking to Harry, and
0: Harry, I,
1: he was showing a pornographic film and called deep throat and i do declare i had to get up to the to up to the deck i couldn't stand to watch such a thing
0: then apparently it blew the fuck up <laughs> do you think she refused to watch it because it was like one of those uh those uh watch it Dottie. i don't have to i
1: lived it. well so here's the bit of trivia is that the implications is that because she's talking about this guy, Harry, putting her in a movie and they're watching Deep Throat. The implication is she's on a yacht with Harry Reams, the guy from Deep Throat. Okay. And uh, that's it. It's just like that was a, th- a little nod to the popular porn of the time, I suppose.
0: But, but Harry Reams wasn't blown up on a yacht.
1: No, 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 no. Well, it's an alternate universe, Chad. It's the mm. it's the, a, a Marvel comic style multiverse where Harry like, Reams and this one blew up in a yacht.
2: I like that Jack is like, they're dead. They're all dead. If they'd wanted a proper burial, they would have died on the land in the summer when the ground is off. Instead, now they're food for the fishes.
1: And... <laughs> and then uh, she says by the way my name is Dwan it it should be Dawn but I I flipped two letters and Jeff Bridges says well I'm a mere Jack and she's like (laughs) oh oh I do declare you can never be mere to me after saving my life which is a line from the movie and and one that to this day I'm like that is not great writing
0: once she comes on board the ship's crew starts bringing Dwan clothing items that she can wear while she's on the ship and then Dwan immediately starts offering. Altering the shirts and the pants so that they will show off her sexy legs and her tight ass and her huge breasts. And then we get to see all of these scenes of Dwan in the shower and we see her on the ship's deck bending over a lot. She's arching her back. She's moaning a lot. And all of these sailors are just ogling her like a piece of meat. It's the cartoon wolf
1: with the eyes bugging out. <laughs> Jeff Bridges is constantly sniffing around her and reading to
0: her and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I found a book. It's called The Story of (laughs) (laughs) O." But then our ship finally arrives at the legendary fog wall surrounding Skull Island. Yeah. And And again, I just want to say the practical effects in this movie, they're pretty good. For the time that it was made and the money they put into it, it looks all right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and fair fair play to this movie, 25 minutes in, we're at Skull Island. Good for you. So Wilson says... Uh, he's like on the bridge and he's looking at the fog and he's like, Jack, I bet this is how Cortez felt when he found the Inca treasure, Jack. And Jeff Bridges is like, oh, you damn foolish. Pizarro. And he died penniless, man. <laughs> so the ship drops anchor just shy of this fog bank.
0: DeJuan comes bounding down the stairs wearing high cut denim shorts they're so tight that they're creeping up her ass and her top is this red and white striped shirt that's cut so short across her midriff that the bottom of her breast are almost visible in the guidelines of whatever the censors would allow. How this woman doesn't have a bottle of Budweiser in one hand and a hot dog in the other is, let's be honest, a real miss by the filmmakers in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and you know, as I mentioned in the introduction after seeing this movie Jessica Ling was like, you know what, I'm gonna take a knee. <laughs> i But she's good in this. She is good in this, but she's also kind of there there's a weirdness to her performance. Like she is on the the aforementioned quayludes for the duration and she's like, "Oh, yeah, I do declare, you got to let me come up, come ashore." I mean, uh fred fred listen you have you owe it to me i have a petrox credit card i mean i haven't paid the bills in a while but you still owe me and he's like you know fine you jack jack are you gonna be responsible for her okay you can come
0: i have always relied on the generosity of strangers to help me pay my gasoline credit card yeah and then she she goes over to Jack and she's like, you know, Jack, I had my horoscope read and it said that I would cross over a great body of water and I would meet the biggest person in my life. Now, at first, I thought that was referring to me stepping over a puddle of piss in the bathroom when I bumped into Big Reggie. But now I think it might be something more, something bigger than that, Jack. Right.
1: This is a real like
0: wink you know there are a couple
1: of lines like this in this movie where it's like hey we're about to see a big monkey everybody
0: yeah there's a lot of stupid shit that are like monkey puns like like hey can you name a number that isn't prime eight (laughs) (laughs) i mean ape oh shit
1: and so they, they get on their this skiff and they're pushing through the fog and uh, they come to the other side and it, it's uh, Jeff Bridges and the captain and and Fred Wilson and the the first mate and uh, Bagley all on the on this skiff and. As soon as they hit the beach, like they go through the, vo- the fog, they come out the other side of it, they hit the beach, and immediately Jessica Ling is just in the middle of a photo shoot where Jeff Bridges is just like, I don't know, just prance
0: around some. Uh. I'm going li- to I'm gonna roll around in the sand, Jack. Take pictures of me. Look how the sand gets between my breast and my nipples and my crack.
2: Yep, look at that. See how it works.
1: Roll around. Meanwhile, Jack, Jack, I'm about to step off the boat, Jack. You want to get a picture of this?
0: <laughs> there needs to be more in this movie of Charles Grodin as Fred Wilson being the buffoonish leader. He should be more Boss hog or Buford T. Justice or Snidely Whiplash. In this movie, Charles Grodin's performance comes across as too milk toast. He's not this, I don't know, like buffoonish, overbearing, way too confident leader and he could be it could be both a a funny and foolish performance at the same time
1: yeah and i think the idea is that he's just supposed to be this sort of spineless middle management type and and there are a couple of times where he's truly villainous that we'll get to but for the most part he's just kind of a dope yeah and and that doesn't always work uh to the, the movie's Benefit. And anyway, so Dwan is just like, Oh, I do declare, look, there's a big gap in the rocks. I'm just going to run ahead of everybody. All right.
0: She sees this waterfall ahead and she runs up to show off what won her the title of Miss Myrtle Beach Wet T shirt Queen (laughs) 1973. And Jack stops her before she can get all wet and wild for the other sailors. Right. He's like, Look, uh, a lot of these
1: sailors haven't seen a lady in some time. Now, I'm happy to protect you, but I can only do so much if you know your your nips are poking out like
0: meh and then our crew comes across this giant wall that is about i don't know what a hundred feet up in the air and then jack tells them that there are probably natives on the island and that their leader promised his followers that he would get a wall built and that kong would pay for it but as time went on and one scandal after another ravaged the native leader fatigue really set in in an almost daily barrage of scandal and bad behavior as the natives kind of forgot about the wall except when the leader held all these rallies where he would get the crowd all worked up with his signature chants you know like lock kong up lock kong up and this guy he is a showman he gets his base worked up to a froth
1: yeah i I like the idea that there would be hearings for like the kong (laughs) priest in his Kong mask. Now, Kong priest, you have said that, in fact, Kong was going to pay for this wall. Now, this wall is constructed, but it has come at the price of several villagers. And now, how exactly do you expect these people to reelect you as head Kong
0: priest? You know what? If Kong doesn't like this island, he can just go back to where he came from
1: uh kong is from this island sir i'm afraid i'm gonna have
0: to hold you in contempt of kong Yeah, mm. you know what i haven't seen kong's official birth certificate so i don't know if that's true <laughs> So here,
1: I I do like the fact in this moment that Charles Grodin is like, Jack, there is no way. This is an ancient structure. There's nobody here, Jack. Immediately, Jeff Bridges is like, well, it has been repaired in the past six months. And then as soon as he's like, there's nobody here, Jack. It's just like. And he's like, and Jeff Bridges gets a real sick burn in on him to hear. He's like, well, I guess that's a German
2: beer hall with with an ancient
1: mechanical
0: band. <laughs> So our crew and Jack and Dewan, they make their way down to see a bunch of natives having some sort of ritualistic ceremony where they have one of their young women on a platform where she is going to be one presumed sacrificed. And then down next to this ceremony are some exposed pools of what might be oil. It looks like black crude, what one might call Texas tea. Mm -hmm. And as the drums grow louder, the woman that's going to be sacrificed, she's all dressed up as a bride and the natives start chanting Kong, Kong. And then their leader shows up and he's wearing this ape mask and he's doing this rhythmic pelvic thrusting dance it's the kind of dancing that you might see during a night at the roxbury season two episode six <laughs> and then this dancing monkey mass leader looks up and sees all of these white folk up on the hill and he motions to everyone and his crew to shut up and it's a real what the fuck is this moment yeah
1: i really like this like i like the whole dance sequence like it there's a real energy to this scene with him bouncing around and the kong 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 and it's like fucking hey man we're about to see a giant ass monkey this is the happiest day of my life
0: but then there's a real record scratch right
1: and then uh he's he starts yelling at him and charles groan for no good reason is like jack what did
0: he say and (laughs) and jacks completely pretends to understand them he's so full of shit he's like he just said that they're gonna give us soup (laughs) he also (laughs) said our shoes are made (laughs) out of leather dreams well he 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 tips his hand a little early that he's full of shit because
1: juan is like Oh, I do declare! It looks like a wedding, and he's like, "Well, eh, probably tonight when the moon is full." It's like, how do you know? How do you know any of this? And then when they they you know stop the celebration, and he's like, he's like, "Well, uh, he, he's saying uh, we contaminated their magic. Yeah,
0: that uh, we 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 got to get out of
1: here, and 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 probably just me and Juan should have a room together from now on, now." <laughs>
0: <laughs> their leader motions that he wants to trade Dwan for six of their women. And then Dwan's like, Jack, tell him I like him too, but not in that way. And then the ship's crew just starts firing their guns in the air like a bunch of banditos. And then all the natives run off in that scene.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like, all right, we're going to call this a draw. Everybody go to their corners. And then. <laughs> and we go back to the boat. Yeah. We go back to the boat where Juan is just reading and smoking, two of my favorite pastimes. Right. And she's wandering around the ship, uh, just tempting the sailors, one presumes.
0: And then she looks out the window and it's like. Oh. Drinking some. Drinking a little Quavatee. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Season two, episode five. I- I'll stop.
1: <laughs> she She looks out the window and sees this full moon. And she's like, "Oh, I do declare. I remember what I said about a wedding earlier."
3: <laughs> and as
1: she leaves the bridge, we we get a look at the radar and there's a repeat of a scene that we didn't talk about it but uh, earlier in the in the movie when they first start like r- scanning the island. They see this blip on the radar that's like, "Hey, something big's moving." And they're like, "No, no, no, it's probably an echo off of some birds or something." But we see that blip again to indicate like
0: Again for the audience like fuck the, that's King Kong everybody look it's he's yeah. coming for anybody born after the year 1995 and you watch this, there are so many moments that influence Jurassic Park in numerous ways. And, and really other films. I mean, Alien, to an extent, that's what this reminded me mm-hmm. of, of just how do you create this threat that you haven't seen yet and really build up this suspense? Yeah. It's 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 well done. It's maybe not as intense or impactful as some of those other movies, but it's still nonetheless pretty well executed
1: there is a a shot in the most recent season of stranger things that is a direct rip off of the scene coming up with uh the the ceremonial stairs outside the gate
0: i think it's funny you mentioned that there's another scene in every uh scene of stranger things that's a direct ripoff <laughs> of something else i don't know if you've if you've seen that particular episode yeah but yeah. um I, yeah. yeah
1: look i'm not the biggest defender of stranger things i i i've <laughs> Pulled the ripcord about two episodes into season two, but I actually made it all the way through season three and thought it was kind of fun. Um, but uh, but I didn't know what the hell was going on. I start watching Stranger Things. I'm like, who are these people again? And it took me about four episodes before I remembered all the names. We get a glimpse of the uh, the natives of the island are getting on one of their boats, like heading to the ship because they're like, look, I, fuck these guys, whether they want to or not, we are taking that white lady and we are not sacrificing any of our people to this big monkey when we've uh, got her. Yep. So good for them. I say.
0: Back in the ship's galley, Fred Wilson, he's like, look, we're going to take all the oil and- anybody that gets in the way we're just gonna shoot them or blow them up well he
1: asked like do we have anything that we can trade and the captain's like oh i mean we got some radios and some shiny cups i don't know we got all kinds of shit that's sparkly we'll give him that and he's like yeah yeah yeah, that sounds great and jeff Bridges is the, is the only person that's like you you can't just
2: bomb with a bunch of beads you're an environmental rapist because you're willing to wipe out an entire species. You know what? The the kids back home will burn every truck station from coast to coast. Yeah, and he's trying to explain to him, he's
1: like, look, you heard him chanting Kong. Also, they've got that big-ass wall. You know, big-ass wall plus chant equals there is some kind of big animal on this island. Yeah, Fred Wilson doesn't give a fuck. Right, he's like, mm, you know, Jack, that's silly, Jack. And jack why are you in trouble with the natives of this island
0: jack decides to just leave on his own and go explore the island at night good idea dummy so he goes down and Dewan is hanging out on this floating platform and jack shows up and he's packing up a bunch of shit for his nighttime excursion and then these two flirt for a little while and it looks like they're gonna go upstairs and maybe have sex Not maybe he's like you know i gotta
1: get some more supplies you know pots for painting gold and then you better not be here when i get back and she says well well i do declare
0: where would i be and he says well hopefully in your room about to have some sex with me (laughs) and but but that does not come to be because a boat filled with natives quietly rolls up and they abduct dewan and it is the kind of abduction that one would see on an episode of Gilligan's Island, or maybe in like a Three Stooges short. There's no struggle, right? It's just Dewan going, "What the?" And then paddle, paddle, yes, splash, 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 off they go. Yeah, it's a real hey, and then
1: done. <laughs> and then we see Charles Grodin talking to to Bagley, saying. Like, you need, to, you need to put together a letter here that's going to be a, a, a statement that we have the biggest find ever.
0: Yeah, we, we, we struck oil. Um, there are no problems at all. P.S. Um, add this part. We found a cure for cancer. Um, we know where Jimmy Hoffa is buried. Um, and Bagley's like, none of this is
1: true. Like, we don't know anything. We don't know if this is even oil yet.
0: Just put it on there. Put it on there. Why? Why were you so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? After Charles
1: Grodin is like, just send the letter, will you? And Jeff Bridges is throwing the last of his things into this boat that he's gonna steal later. And he sees that Juan isn't there, and at first he kind of smiles. He's like, Well, I guess who's gonna get it wet
2: tonight?
0: But then he looks down and he sees like some bones attached to a necklace and an empty can of Schlitz malt liquor. <laughs> did the natives leave these as calling cards I, I
1: think the idea is that they left this necklace as sort of like hey we're giving you payment for the girl
0: oh and the empty can that's dwan that's just Dwan. yeah she's got a little bit of a problem it's just dwan being dwan yeah do you want another one i'm gonna get me one i'll get you one yeah that's
1: Th- that's why she's called Duan. Do you want another one?
0: We get to the island where the natives are holding basically the same ceremony that we saw earlier, but this time it's night and they have torches, which yet again, any nighttime gathering that involves tiki torches and chanting is 100% guaranteed to have an element of racial influence one way or the other. Because here we got a hundred black people chanting with huge afros and bones around their necks, sacrificing this lily white woman. And the leader of the natives, he's just dry humping this sacrificial platform that Duan is on. And Duan earlier, she kind of got drugged. They made her drink some stuff to keep her complicit in all this. And then the natives lube up this Big, long, thick pole that runs through these holes that keeps the giant wall door closed. Calling Dr. Freud. Calling Dr. Sigmund Freud. You're needed in the cigar shop. Dr. Freud. Let me say this about
1: the the racial overtones of this movie there is no blackface I think that's a plus and there, at no point is it like oh I think that guy uh, on the left is just Hispanic it's like well at the very least they hired just you know a, what presumably were a bunch of African American actors to play the natives and it doesn't ever feel like it's entirely exploitative other than like we're gonna go steal their white woman but I come down on the side of right so they don't have to sacrifice one of their own you did
0: not make your argument counselor <laughs> <laughs> your
1: honor um yeah I, I mean maybe not but again i'm kind of in the bag for this movie so <laughs> <laughs> i'm overlooking probably some pretty heinous stuff in fairness that just like when i saw it as a kid it just never occurred to me that there would be anything racial about it so <laughs> well, of course so even when i watch it now like there's part of me that transports back to being five, six years old and seeing this movie and just being like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, there's a monkey.
0: Yeah. When I watched this in the comfort of my own home, I still looked around like, is there anybody else around here? Should I be concerned? After this pomp and circumstance, they finally open the doors and they take Duan and they tie her up on this stage with these lush green vines. And then they close and lock the giant door with that big, thick... <laughs> lubed up black pole and then a train goes through a tunnel and then this woman starts eating a popsicle and then there's this guy who shows up and he's selling hot dogs that he keeps sticking in the middle of donuts i don't know what was going on there man well all right so we see
1: I've, I'm a little turned on now. So we see our Jack and our, our team, like crack team from the Petroch ship, uh, have come ashore. Meanwhile, though, the natives are blowing horns. And this is another scene that I love where the, they're blowing uh, these big ceremonial horns and they're lining the walls uh, or the ramparts of, of this giant wall. And they're all chanting, Kong,
2: Kong, Kong.
1: And an hour into this
0: movie, Kong shows up yeah there's a big crunch crunch footsteps and we see this giant creature slowly making its way around the corner and brilliantly you only see glimpses of the creature's eyes there are little moments where you can almost make out its full face through like foreground obstruction there are objects that really don't let you make out what it is that you're struggling to see and then vinkman says what did you do ray and then ray says it's the stay puffed marshmallow man and then we see stay puffed nope nope different movie chad what we see <laughs> is a
1: giant 40 foot monkey and and there's a, like when we first see him it, it's a point of view shot as, as he comes through the trees and looks down at Dwan all tied up and it's like hey wait a second this don't look like the normal ladies i get and juan looks up and we see kong in all his glory which is of course rick baker in a big ape suit <laughs> but, which I, I stand by the fact, I think this is a good ape suit. So you see him uh, standing in front of this, like, you know, altar of stairs. And then a giant mechanical arm grabs <laughs> Jessica Lay. Mm-hmm. Which, to say, like, there are so many instances where the hand grabs her. And it's similar to Bela Lagosi fighting the octopus, in Bride of the Monster, where it's mm-hmm. a lot of like, oh, I do declare, let me just fall back into this hand here and grab this giant thumb. They're proud of that giant monkey. I'm sure it cost a fucking fortune, and and it worked well they, enough. They use it a lot. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, sometimes it looks better than others, and again, I saw this on Blu-ray, and so um, sometimes it looks good and sometimes not so much. So he grabs Dwan and then kind of brings her up to his monkey phase and gives her a sniff, and then she just <laughs> screams and passes out. Sure. And then Kong is like, "Oh, uh, all right, well, I'll just be going then." And turns around and fucks back off into the mountains. And as soon as he leaves, like all the the natives are just like, "All right, done and done, everybody back." You know, let's have a little party. And so they, you know, like file down from the walls just in time to see the natives celebrating Mm -hmm. and the heroes (laughs) question mark fire off a bunch of flares to scatter the natives right then they reopen the gates
0: and we don't see those natives again until like 30 minutes later in the movie they're gone we're not paying them any money. Uh, <laughs> right. The, the, the day players serving as the
1: natives <laughs> are only going to get another 30 bucks out of this production.
0: But they, so they open up
1: the, these big gates and they find that Dwan is gone. <gasps> right. And they g- go out to like sniff around to see like, hey, where, where did Dwan go? And Charles Grodin then falls into a hole. Uh, in mm-hmm. quotes,
0: but it's not. It's not a hole.
1: It's not because Jeff Bridges is like oh, you. You fell into a, a footprint, and he's like,
2: "Huh?"
1: <laughs> Charles Gray is like Jack. There's no giant monkey, Jack. And it, Jeff Bridges is like, "Oh, well, what made a big hole in the trees there? Is not a guy in an ape suit?" Yeah. At <laughs> which, when this was written, the idea was there was going to be this giant 40-foot mechanical ape that was moving around. So they were making a joke about the fact that it wasn't going to be a guy in an ape suit, and yet it was a guy in an ape suit.
0: Right. You know, you
1: just cut the line is all. That's all I'm saying.
0: You just make a game (laughs) Everything that's on the page doesn't have to make it to the screen, people. Right. An editor might have helped there. The crew runs off to go find Dewan, and then Fred Wilson, our villain, he goes back to the beach where he's hanging out at this portable cabana and he's using a CB radio to bark orders at the crew while he's drinking j scotch. And here the ship's captain comes up and he was like, you know, having a gorilla that size would make a hell of a TV commercial. And you see Fred Wilson give it a one eyebrow up TV commercial. Right, they might as
1: well have had like a cartoon light bulb up here just bing above his head.
0: (laughs) We get to see our guys out in the jungle and they're setting up camp. And then not Craig T. Nelson is asking 101 questions to Jeff Bridges. And we get to see Jeff Bridges pull that move that he does in pretty much every movie where he gets all pissed off and he's, he just yells back at the questions, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. Quit asking so many goddamn questions. I don't know how this shit works. I'm making a bunch of guesses here, man. It's a giant monkey. What the fuck? I mean, shit. <laughs> right.
1: And. What I like is as the scene fades out, Not Craig Craig T. Nelson goes back to like setting up the tent a little more gingerly. But Jeff Bridges does not. He is just
0: locking eyes like, you want to go, man? (laughs) We then cut to Duan and Kong. In this scene, the film has no music playing at all. And it is a very intimate moment in the movie. They also use the giant monkey hand prop a lot here. I mean, a lot. It's always Dewan and the monkey hand. Then we cut to the guy in the ape suit. And then we cut to a matted image of Dewan kind of in the foreground and the monkey in the background to make them look like they're together. And during the scene, Dewan hides her legs as Kong as looking at her. And Kong's like, you know what? I bet I could make this work. I mean, it would take a little ingenuity right. and a whole lot of that hard log lube that the natives use on that big, thick, you know, cock-shaped rod that they keep the door closed. But I think I could make this work. I mean, yeah.
1: And Kong's just like, I mean, am I crazy? Am I crazy to make this work? I mean, we're so different. She's so small. I'm so big. I'm a giant ape. She is whatever she is. I, you know Kong what? picks up. Give, you know what? Let's give it. Hey, Kong let's let's try let's just try how about how about you allow yourself the opportunity to be be happy once kong
0: kong picks up duan with his big robotic fake monkey arm and then duan uses every trick in her book to save her life she goes through seven tactics to keep her ass alive number one reason Uh and she says i do declare i can't stand heights i once got sick in an elevator and my guess that's because she was pumped full of gin rickies and (laughs) Yeah, that that vomit saved her life chad she number two rage she screams out put me down and then number three she immediately goes for sympathy and she starts crying and she says you put me down, you big brute then number four is flattery where she says put me down you big strong handsome ape then number five she immediately pivots to threats and violence where she says you goddamn chauvinist pig ape what are you waiting for you want to eat me just go ahead and do it choke on me And then she starts hitting him. Uh Uh-huh. Number six is regret, (laughs) where she says, I didn't mean to do that. Sometimes I get a little too physical. And then number seven is resolve, where she says, like, nice, sweet monkey. You know what? Let's be friends. I'm a Libra. What sign are you? Don't tell me. I'll bet you're an Aries. She literally does all of that shit in this movie.
1: Yeah. In the space of about two minutes. It's impressive. (laughs) And- when he finally puts her down at this point, this is truly one of my favorite moments in this movie. It, he wants her to shut up, where he's just like, "Just look, you know what, Kong? Things are not going well. I'm gonna set her <laughs> down. Let's all just take a breath. Check, please. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. Why don't Why don't we just sleep on this tonight, and we'll get a fresh start tomorrow? And you know, we're gonna start with just introductions. Like, hey, I'm Kong. You're Dwan. Let's just start there. And but he as he puts her down, uh, Jessica Ling kind of looks back at him and then just starts running and that's where the music swells and it's this really wonderful like combination of visual and sound of her running away the music coming up and then seeing kong angrily chasing after her and it it really works for me it's one of those moments in this movie that i can't not love you know
0: I kind of thought at this moment in the film that the relationship between Kong and Dewan was going to be more aligned with that classic Warner Brothers cartoon where the big dog Mark Anthony is protecting the small kitten pussyfoot Mm -hmm. and that it would be more of a um, I don't know. Protector, like she's
1: a pet and almost and he's protecting yeah, her
0: and, and that's what it would be and i was like well that that seems like that would be great and then a few scenes later i'm like no i, th- I think he wants to fuck yeah her.
1: yeah that's where we get and there's a couple of moments where that is not just alluded to it's just like oh yeah he's horned up for this this woman
0: we come back to the beach where we get to see fred wilson and he's getting a massage by some guy and then fred wilson blows off his masseuse in just kind of this this uh, curt way and the masseuse just walks off in a huff and you can tell that his masseuse is pissed off and i do not think that these two see their relationship in the same way
2: (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i would agree with that so he's like hey we we spotted uh kong or, uh, or, you know, this blip on the radar moving uh, 3.6 kilometers west of you. Moving in a random manner, Jack. Uh, did you hear that? It's a random manner, Jack. Not not towards you at all. Just random. And uh, Jeff Jeffridge is like, well, I guess you escape maybe. We better get on the move. And that this is where Groden kind of becomes the villain of the movie for a minute. Where he's like, hey, Jack, don't move until the charges are planted. Okay, Jack? And Bridges is like what? You, you,
0: you do a pretty good Charles Grodin. I just want to tell you. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You. They're either lying or they're jealous. Uh, you know. <laughs> that's envy, my
1: dear, and there's a little bit of that <laughs> in the best of us. Pivoted into a Jimmy Stewart quote and good evening. Um so uh but Bridges is like,
2: I, what are we gotta save a young lady? What are you talking about?
1: And He's yelling and that's where not Craig T. Nelson is like, uh, he hung up on you, man. He, he's not even listening anymore. <laughs> and, for the record those weren't words.
0: And then For the record I know. So
1: he's like, uh, you know, we we gotta go after uh Dwan. And I like that boom, the black dude in the crew, he's just like, you know what? Fuck this white lady. <laughs> I'm not getting in a hurry for anybody, much less this stupid company that ain't paying me what I'm worth. And uh, Jeff Riches like overhears this, and he's like, "Well, I guess you don't care." I said Kong's coming this way, huh? Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, well, shit. All right, let's go." <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like all of that, and uh, but Wilson, yeah. like one of the things that Groden says here, like before he signs off, that you know, again to the. The, the point of him not being a great villain it's at this point where he's like jack you got there's a national energy crisis to think of jack we we can't just go running off after every lady we gotta we gotta do what's right here jack and uh <laughs> so we cut back to Kong Chad and this is after he has kind of scooped Jessica Lang back up the last time she tried to take off on him
0: yeah with his big robotic arm
1: yeah and she had fallen in a bunch of mud mm-hmm so this ain't going to work for Kong, Kong- <laughs> Kong's like, look, uh, I have some standards here and and you are filthy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going, I'm going to basically run you under some tap water. Mm-hmm. And so he, his big mechanical hand uh, puts Jessica Lang under this waterfall so she can, you know, her clothes can become slightly more see-through and she can clean herself
0: up. And sexy, romantic music plays in the background. Right, and
1: they do a couple of, like, shots of Kong's face, and he's got this big monkey
0: smile, Uh
1: where, where he's just like, oh, yeah, all right. Just just wash your hair a little bit more. Yeah, 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 like that.
0: After he pulls it out of the water, Kong blow dries Dwan with his breath. And over time, she begins to really get into how it feels as she's arching her back and tilting her hair in the wind and just really taking in all of the rotten ape breath that is brushing over her skin. I would vomit. You know it smells horrible.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, I get a little uh, grossed out when my cat meows too close to my face. (laughs) And to to quote a a venerable Simpsons character, my cat's breath smells like cat food. And that's bad enough, but you know that this crazy giant ape is eating all kinds of shit out there on this island, and none of that. He's not brushing between meals. No! No!
0: uh so i felt like he was probably consuming his own semen oh my god well then
1: again you know you're alone on an island there's no lady kong
0: eventually you're gonna do some weird shit (laughs) in the next scene uh bagley the number two he comes in and tells uh our villain fred that the oil on the island isn't any good and that they'd have a better luck filling up their gas tank with mule piss he is solidly drunk yes like during the scene (laughs) He has got that's how you deliver. That's how you deliver bad news to your boss. That's how I deliver bad news to my boss. I get drunk and show up and tell him, Hey, things went south. What are you going to do? Fire me? He also dick teases Charles Grodin here a little bit.
1: And this is a line that has has stuck with me for many, many years, (laughs) as you will have heard from the introduction. But it's when he's like, I'll tell you, that oil is great, it is going to be fantastic. And uh, Charles Grodin is like, really? That's great. How long? And he's like, oh, just a tick of the clock, geologically speaking. Oh, about ten thousand years. And Charles <laughs> Grodin is just like, the fuck, man! You lead with that, all right? You don't, you don't walk me around the block and get my hopes up about this whole expedition. And but this is where Fred Wilson now shifts tactics, where he's like, hey, if I'm not bringing home oil, I'm going to bring home this big ape. Mm-hmm. So, now we get to an, an action scene where our heroes, question mark, have come across a ravine. And the only way across this this ravine, this crevasse, if mm-hmm. you will, is yes. to uh, climb over this old felled tree that right. stretches Well, across. you
0: need to send one person across by themselves, then everyone needs to go across all at the same time.
1: Right, that's just uh, Eagle Scout good thinking, (laughs) where Jack Jack runs across the log and is like,
2: Come on over, everything's fine. It's safe, y'all can make it, come on now.
1: And they're like, hey, you know, the prospector said it was cool, everybody on board the tree. And as, as soon as they all get on the tree, Kong has snuck up on them. <laughs> it's a real surprise. right? And just, then he just starts wiggling the log left and right, left and right. What I dearly love about this is that everyone on the log has uh-huh. a different approach to how not to get knocked off.
2: None of them work. Some
1: of them cling to the log. Some of them are sort of dancing side to side as Kong turns the log clockwise and counterclockwise Uh uh-huh the only person and they're all falling just just falling (laughs) hither and yon into this this crevasse and the only guy that makes it off of the log is the black dude boom who Uh just jumps off the log and grabs some vines on the other side there you go right and yeah he's like i'm not fucking dying here man i am this is all bullshit I got some life worth living. I'm gonna live it well. Right. Right. Like, I, I, none of this was my idea. I did not come. I did not want to come up here for the white lady. That was all somebody else's idea. I'm not getting paid for this shit. He's essentially Yafit Kato from uh, Alien, where he's just like, <laughs> "Am I getting my bonus? All right, then I'm going."
0: The big robotic arm reaches down and tries to grab Jack, and he's hiding under this ledge, but the robotic arm can't find him. And then, uh, Boom! He's just like. I'm out of here. I'm right. gone. Yeah, he just pieces
1: out. He's done. And Jack, uh, you know, safe from the mechanical arm. Um, Kong finally just stands up and it's like, ah, fuck this. You know, I got I got business to contend with here. I got I got a tiny white woman to go try to fuck. Right. He's just like, Look, man, all I'm trying to do is just start building something real here <laughs> with
0: my I, new girlfriend. Hurt. Yeah. I, you know, I don't I don't want to call my girlfriend. I don't want to scare her away. Just it's it's complicated, but yeah. it's not. It's easy. It feels so right. It feels so right. It feels so right. Oh, my God. I think she's the one. I think she's the one. I mean, I, I know
1: that sounds crazy. And especially because her ex seems to be chasing after her. But, but that's
0: him. That's not me. That's not us. She Look, all she needs is
1: a little time here on Skull Island with me, and she's going to see how good it, it is, how great she has it. She's Queen Kong. I mean, she's royalty now. And <laughs> so meanwhile, the the Petrarch ship is getting an airdrop of a bunch of uh-huh. barrels of chloroform <laughs> to enact, you know, uh, monkey sleep now. And th- th- in the village, they're digging this giant pit, uh-huh. and the captain is like, hey, we want to take some men and go look for the guys that we sent after Dwan, because they're not reporting back anymore. <laughs> and and uh, Charles Grodin is just like, look, I um, I know that seems like a great idea, but we have a lot of work to do here. Uh, with the pit and the chloroform um, and they're fine. They're fine. They're going to be just fine. So how about you stay here and I don't know, maybe grab a shovel and chip in and help dig this hole. Let's just
0: hold on. Let's put a pause on this. So our villain, uh, Fred Wilson comes to his crew and he was like, Gu- guys, guys, um, I know we were here to get oil, but new plan. Um, We are going to capture a 40 foot tall, monkey. And I've drawn up a schematic here of how we're going to do this. We're going to dig a hole and I've asked for a bunch of chloroform to be uh, dropped in the ocean that some of you all will swim out and get and then we'll put it in the hole and then we'll trick the monkey into falling into the hole and um, we're going to catch him. I saw this on an episode of Scooby-Doo one time and I feel pretty confident it's going to work. Okay, so who's with me on this? Where's everybody going?
1: Uh, how about I just say, uh, if you don't do it, then this is your new home.
0: Right. And, like, if people are doing this shit. Like, this was the plan from the get-go. Right. This is insane. This is the stupidest shit ever.
1: Jack, we're calling an audible. <laughs> Forget the oil. We're all in on the monkey. And then... uh before we can you know send a team out to look for him this dude boom comes staggering out of the jungle clothes Uh tattered looking like he's just had the shit beat out of him and charles gordon is like boom is that you hey uh where's everyone else and he does the like finger across the neck like Mm -hmm. and then charles gordon gets this look like I probably shouldn't tell the captain that, at least not right away. <laughs> not until the hole's dug. And then we we see what will be uh important later on. It's it's nighttime, there's a full moon, and there are these two big stone pillars uh that are, you know, part and parcel of uh Kong's home. Right. And this is what I like to call the fingering scene in mm-hmm. which Kong holds dwan in one hand mm-hmm. and with his other is just like you know what i'm gonna caress her oh that's her boobie well she didn't seem to mind let's keep going a little south and puts his finger right in her crotch and this is a real you know touching me in the bad place kind of moment mm-hmm. but dwan does not freak out really uh and i think this is where kong is like oh my god oh my god i think this she's is into this it. Is crazy. you know what look i i gotta be honest with you even i thought this wasn't gonna work but now that i see her reaction and i'm turned on she seems turned on i mean i know like i should have prepared for this moment but maybe it's better that i didn't prepare because then it's spontaneous (laughs) i'm gonna ask you a question (laughs) that i know the answer to but Uh, i gotta ask it uh uh-huh why don't we see kong's dick because this movie is rated pg chad and if you saw this giant monkey cock which would be proportional like if he's 40 feet tall this would be at minimum like a five foot dick
0: are we to assume that kong is male maybe kong's a female
1: right and and so this is more of a like you know all all this time they've been they've been trying to give me women and I was never into it but then with her suddenly something clicked maybe I'm pansexual you know it's Call just got to be the to right person
0: my window.
1: uh
0: <laughs> apologies all around there so kong
1: has you know what the what the the operators of the kong suit must have referred to as the leer mode whereas he's running his finger over dwan it looks like like the eyes are wide and he's got this grin on his face like it reminded sh- me of that <sighs> monkey
0: from lily tomlin's uh the incredible shrinking woman uh-huh you know like like ah.
1: Yeah, he looks delighted and not in a way that's like, oh, this is good, clean, wholesome fun. It's like things are about to get sexy.
0: It's like Jim Belushi in Trading Places when they stuck him inside that gorilla costume.
1: Yes, yes. And (laughs) so he puts Dwan down, presumably to give himself a couple of tugs to get ready for action. (laughs) but then but yeah but before he can conjugate the verb out comes this giant snake and in another moment that's reminiscent of bride of the monster kong fights this giant snake which is kind of wrapped around him and he's roaring at the snake and it's worth pointing out the the kong roars are voiced by peter cullen who is the voice actor for optimus prime really Uh uh-huh huh yeah just, and he said uh i didn't include this in the introduction but he said that when he was doing uh these screams and roars and stuff that he he couldn't work for a little while after because it just wrecked his voice doing these yells but
0: oh. anyway um so
1: while kong is is <laughs> <laughs> is wrestling with a snake if you know mm-hmm. what i mean
0: jack shows up
2: uh, <laughs> what are you doing I'm a big snake Uh, probably oh
0: jack jack here i am you won't ever believe what happened to me since i last saw you on that jetty next to the ship where i was drinking all of that schlitz malt liquor
1: Yeah, I I finished that by the way. It was a little watered down. I think some seawater oh, s- got right in it.
0: Yeah. Son of a bitch! Let me tell you what happened to me. I almost got married to a big monkey, and that big monkey he let fingered
1: me, me. Let me stop you right there. Uh, I I kind of stop listening. Uh, you want to get out of here? Kind of kind of parched. I can go for another drink <laughs> after you mentioned the slits. Uh, okay. You
0: had me a drink. Yes. Let's go, Jack. <laughs>
1: this will all pay off later um so jack and dwan run off and kong sees the fact that his squeeze is getting away he's like hey man i we were getting somewhere and now her ex shows up and she's gonna leave with him
0: what the fuck i don't think so
1: i've been putting in some serious time with her and i'm not giving up that easy and so he just grabs the jaws of this snake And Mm -hmm. rips its head in two. It's pretty good. It's yeah, it's satisfying. Where he's just like, First of all, fuck this snake. Second of all, you're not getting out of here with my squeeze, man. Like that's not how this is gonna play out. Kong has some a little something called self respect.
0: A little bit. And then, and then we see Jack and Duane and they run along through the jungle, and they reach this cliff that's like a few hundred feet up in the air above a river. And then Kong comes along, and he has them cornered. And then Jack and Dewan, they have this back and forth, and Jack says, I'll jump first. And then Dewan says, nope. And then he says, then you jump first. And then she says, no, I said. And then Jack says, what's the matter with you? And Sundance says, I can't swim. And then Butch says, why the fall will probably kill you
1: eh, different movie but it's hard not to think of that in this scene <laughs> and so they take off
0: uh, they jump into the ocean and kong is like well son of a bitch i safety first i'm gonna walk down i'm not going to injure myself and others i'm gonna lead by example you never knew who is watching you right and what if i land on her
1: you know, and the, like I, him, I could care less about. He's the guy that showed up drunk probably and took her away from me. But her, eh, I don't want to accidentally, you know, push her to the bottom of the sea with my giant five ton monkey body
0: Yeah, and, and my five foot long, invisible monkey cock. <laughs> right?
1: That is that is now just shrunken to a semi chub, which is still <laughs> enough to kill, you know, your average bison. And
3: <laughs>
1: so We cut back to the village where they get an update, which may be my favorite line of the movie. Uh, It's the best line of the whole damn movie. (laughs) Where they say, there are five minutes monkey time to their position. (laughs) And I immediately thought, why is everything not measured in monkey time? What kind of world (laughs) is it that we live in where that has been stolen from us?
0: <laughs> Jack shows up and he's carrying Dewan in his arms at the very last minute as they're preparing for their pungy pit filled with sleeping gas, you know, extravaganza. And then uh, Fred Wilson and team they let uh, Jack and Dewan back on the safe side of the big wall. And then Kong shows up and he just knocks the door down and he falls into the pit as you know our bad guys had want him to do. And Kong is now captured. Prior to this, there's a really good shot of Fred Wilson seeing Kong for the first time as he's running towards the wall. And it's a real holy shit moment. (laughs) Right.
1: Jack, you said it was going to be big. I didn't think it was going to be that big, Jack. I got to be honest with you. I I had an image in my head of the monkey and it was not that big
0: after the monkey falls into the pit it's filled with smoke and then the giant robotic arm comes out of the pit in proportions that are grossly mismatched for the size of the ape that fell into this hole
1: yes but i do like the fact that the natives sneak out and are just like son of a bitch they got the monkey why didn't we ever think of the pit everybody jerry when when did i tell you we should dig a pit that's right two years ago. You know how they caught him A pit. Good job, Jerry.
0: Yeah, you know what? What did they have? Sleeping gas. Do you have sleeping gas, Myron? We no, could have gotten don't. something.
1: <laughs> Point of order, in uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, they uh-huh. have much the same plan, only they use these red berries that grow on this island to, okay. to mash up into basically, like, toilet wine that they... <laughs> <laughs> That Kong not only like mellows out with, he is addicted to it. Anytime in that movie they need Kong to go somewhere, they're like, hey, we got some of this berry wine over here. And Kong's like, I'm there. Um,
0: it's like the Kong version of Scooby Snacks?
1: No, it's more like the Kong version of Smack. He, because because it weirds him out. It's not just like, oh, this is delicious. It's like man, Kong is getting getting right with this berry juice. It's pretty good. It's my, probably my favorite thing in that whole movie, which is fantastic.
0: In this movie, we cut back to this full size tanker, and Kong is now down in the ship's hull. And I just want to go on record and say this is the moment of any King Kong movie that always bothers me. How did they get Kong back on the ship?
1: Well, he was he was a little drunk they just take him by the hand and they're like hey we need to get you back to your room man
0: (laughs) that's bullshit every kong movie it's like we knocked him out and then you just fade to him being on a ship and it's just like all right whatever
1: yeah in the original kong there was actually a scene written that was all about like how we get kong to the ship and stuff and and it was uh ruth treasure hunt you no, know, it was Ruth Rose, the 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 woman who cleaned up the script. That was like, we don't need to see any of this because it doesn't make sense. So just cut to he's on the boat, and and she <laughs> she set the standard, and that's what everyone went with. But you're right, it, it doesn't make any sense. And so while we're on the boat, like Kong is in this big hold. Uh, Jack and Dwan are playing backgammon. That was a thing in the 70s. Yeah, it sure was. Like, backgammon is what your friend's parents always played when you didn't know they were high, but they were totally high. <laughs> and so Charles Grodin shows up and gives Dwan a telegram. And he's like, Dwan, you're not going to believe this. It's a national tour. You're going to be a star now.
0: Jack, do I look different? Because I'm a star. I'm going to shine up so bright in the sky.
1: Right. And he he says, Jack, have you thought about getting married to Dwan? I mean, I know it's sudden, but... It- what in the fuck
2: are you talking about? We're playing backgammon here. I'm not going to marry her. I just met her four days ago.
1: You'd really be doing me a big solid here, Jack, if you could just go ahead and get married. And, she got fingered by a giant monkey. Ooh, How am I gonna live up to that? That is uh, another point I wanted to bring up to you, Jack. He's gonna be giving her away.
2: What? What in the fuck are you talking about? How, do you know the rules of backgammon? <laughs> no one knows the rules of backgammon that's the thing that no one tells
1: you is there are no rules
0: it's like calvin ball
1: yeah you just roll the dice it's like oh i got a seven i get to move this three spaces for no good reason (laughs) i don't know
0: because everyone was
1: stoned in the 70s of course (laughs) you know like like you had to make up the rules because nobody could remember the real ones
0: uh brad wilson tells duan that they have a coast-to-coast tour where she's gonna be you know uh lollygagging around with kong and then duan says to fred wilson how can you lock up someone who tried to save little old me and then fred wilson says he tried to rape you wait what why would fred wilson say this based on what evidence she probably he tried to rape you she probably came back to the ship and they were like what happened while you were gone
1: oh it D. dd it was nothing at all he ran me under some water and he raped her
0: he tried to rape her. Everyone,
1: and then he took just, his big monkey
0: finger, and he, ran, he just ran was, he it her. on my body. He raped her. Just go, could you go ahead and notarize this document that says rape? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Captain, are you here? I'm a notary. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so uh, then Wilson
1: uh it also says hey before you you guys get all maudlin about this think of how happy these natives are now that we've gotten rid of this giant monkey that they had to build a wall for
0: and here's not what jack thinks oh here's another
1: moment where he's just talking right out his ass he's just like oh we took
0: their god
1: in a year they're gonna be an island of drunks and you're like what
0: a misguided logic does this movie purport to pass off as truth it it is beyond comprehension why would the natives be drunks because kong is gone they're self-medicating to deal with the loss of the largest threat to life on their island and where did they get all this booze
1: (laughs) right that was my question is like yes if you just bring them nothing but whiskey perhaps (laughs)
3: <laughs> but it doesn't
1: seem like that's a problem now and and, and then uh charles groden has a great point here where he's like hey if you don't like it jack you don't have to be part of this you say the word we'll get kong a new keeper and jeff bridges is just like you know and wilson is like right see opening night so fuck you very much jack which i love this well because he's like yeah you know like you're no better than she is she's just happy about it <laughs> And then later at night, Jack and and Dwan are, you know, chit-chatting, and they're finally getting around to kissing. And as they do so, Dwan's scarf blows off uh, her neck into the hold. And I think it's kind of a nice moment where it blows into this, uh, you know, where where Kong is, is being kept, and he picks up the the scarf he kind of snatches it out of the air and gives it a, a a sniff and he's like hey you know Dwan's here somewhere and it sounds so
0: gross when you say it like that
1: uh well you know I I like to I like <laughs> to use plain language Chad um and so Jack and Dwan are going back to his room to get it on but, but until yeah but Kong got a got a whiff of Dwan and now he's got a boner again and so he's he's trying to climb a bunch of pipes, and just generally starts tearing shit up. Right. And one of my one of my favorite things is like he starts banging on the walls, and you get this scene of uh, a couple of dudes in their bunks that just fly the fuck off the wall,
0: and it's like I like. I like the computer room that has that pipe that breaks into and all that brown liquid squirts out. And you're just like, yeah, this is 100% shit spewing all over these computers. Right. But I like
1: the fact that it's like, hey, you know, Jimmy got the the shit bunk next to the Kong room. <laughs> Are they drawing short straws for those bucks? Like, hey, you're you're ground zero if the monkey decides to go, you know,
0: ape shit. Dwan runs over to the holding cell from way up above and she's like hey there you hairy beast of a monkey you remember little old me your blind date and then Jack runs over and he's like he's like
2: Dwan don't you walk over that metal grated cover it's got a bunch of holes that are big enough for a little filly like you to tumble down and fall to her death or worse you know getting fingered by a giant gorilla
0: And then Kong jumps in the air and he bangs down, thus shaking the ship from top to bottom. And so Dewan falls through the bars and this big fake robotic monkey arm catches Dewan as she falls slowly, slowly, slowly down to the ground. And this big fake monkey hand holds Dwan and in this shot, Dwan puts her hand out to rub Kong's nose, but the matting of the movie is off. Uh-huh. So we see Dwan just rubbing the air about 15 feet away from Kong's face. Yes, it it's not good, um, but he he does <laughs> let her down.
1: Uh, and, and like, it's this moment where he's kind of resigned. One supposes of just like, okay, well at least I got to see her and you know, look, I know this is crazy, but I can't, I can't go too far when I've just met her again. So I'm going to let her go. And it's like they say, if uh, you love something, let it go. If it comes back to you, it was meant to be. So that's what I'm doing here. Dwan go with God. And so Juan does, she kind of sneaks out of this hole, and climbs up a ladder, and Kong doesn't freak out anymore. And then we go to the big arrival of Kong as he comes to New York.
0: We cut immediately to the good old US of A on the 4th of July, and it is the debut of Kong to the world. Yes. I feel like there's a whole lot that happened between these two scenes. I don't want to see it. But it's just like there's a whole nother movie that occurred between these two scenes. Yes, you're you're right.
1: But this movie is already like two fifteen, so let's get her moving.
0: <laughs> so we're in some hotel or restaurant or convention hall. I don't know where we are, and Dewan's getting ready for her debut with Fred Wilson looking on. And then Jack, our hero, well, he shows up and he's like,
2: Hey, look, like, I quit. I gave all the money you gave me to the ASPCA and I put your name on it. I'm done with whatever the hell's going on here. I, I gotta be honest. I kind of
1: lost track of what I was supposed to be doing in the first place. I guess I'm just, just going to have a drink. You want to have a drink? Oh, you already drink. You got one.
0: (laughs) Dwan says, oh, Jack, baby, don't do this. My horoscope says you should stay and help little old me out. And then Jack just splits. Well, he's like, look, I,
1: I, too, because I think this is important for the end of the movie, but he says, you should probably just come with me and blow off all this calm bullshit. And Wilson says, if you leave now, you're never going to get a booking again. And Dwan says, you know, oh, I do declare. I can't go, Jack. You understand. And he's like, I understand. All right. I mean, not really, but I kind of I kind of lost the plot a little bit. I'm just going to leave. And so he takes off and leaves her there to be a star.
0: So let's cut to some outdoor venue that looks like Evil Knievel is about to jump a bunch of flaming school buses. Everything is covered in red, white, and blue. And there is an international audience. People are speaking in multiple languages all over the place. Dewan and Fred Wilson arrive in a helicopter and then two actors, two black actors, they're dressed up as the Skull Island natives and they escort Dewan up to this platform where she is tied up like she was tied up in the beginning of the movie but this time she's tied up with these fake looking silver painted vines
1: yeah it's like the the tinsel you would use on a christmas tree or something
0: yeah circa 1976
1: yeah it's it's pretty chintzy and uh and wilson is narrating all this he's got his safari outfit on he's like and so beauty set foot on the island
0: it's it's so great
1: yeah it's it's real fun and then
0: these it looks like an overblown high school production
1: yes yes like there's there's stands there's a marching band there are people flocking all around and then the these uh, these gate doors open up and a giant
0: gas pump is wheeled in by giant this thing's what 50 feet tall it's it is massive yes it is
1: a giant ass <laughs> gas pump and then the curtain like the the gas pump is just the the outer shell the candy shell of the Kong goodness within because they pull this up and it's Kong in this cage that is like he's he's got manacles on his hands and feet. And also this wraparound cage that goes to his shoulders so that in theory, the only thing free is Kong's head.
0: Mm -hmm. which is wearing a burger king style giant paper crown well he's the king he's king kong
1: and uh he's uh uh, sorry i had this weird (laughs) flashback of the video game sneak king that just paused my brain for about two seconds or it's like can you believe they made a fucking video game out of that burger king character called sneak king anyway i told you tonight was going to be a look inside my mind (laughs) and so kong is watching and it's this is one of the few scenes where you see the actual 40 foot mechanical kong that they built and you can tell because it doesn't look very good and it
0: doesn't move (laughs) <laughs> the media on the ground rushes Dewan up on her platform to get pictures of her and Kong in the background. And it's here that Kong just starts breaking loose. And Fred Wilson in his little, you know, George of the Jungle costume, he tells the crowd, "It's an escape-proof cage." And literally in no less than 10 seconds, Kong has ripped this cage apart piece
2: by piece.
1: Right, it to try to sell uh, salvage some sense of propriety here he's like yeah 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 the cage the cage broke sure but
0: his feet are still chained that's the important thing people everything is okay his feet are chained he ain't going nowhere right and then of
1: course he immediately takes one step kong does and the chains just snap
0: I like that the whole crowd remains surprisingly calm until this one rational single woman in the crowd screams at the top of her lungs, thus alerting the crowd that they should somehow be aware of the impending doom ahead of them. Her scream is one of those claws,
1: uh, hands turned into claws, clutching the air as she bellows it is a great scream and the rest of the crowd sees her scream like this and is like oh shit i think this is serious and they go crazy and it's utter chaos and there's another great moment where kong now free steps on a group of people and it's awesome what is and it's not just like hey you see the foot go down on some people no no chad that's that's pedestrian. His foot comes up after that and you see these crushed bodies just wiggling.
0: Yeah. It's a real, a little bit quiet. now. Bit quiet now.
1: <laughs> it's terrific. It is uh,
0: uh, 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 uh.
1: like every time in one of these kaiju movies where you see like Godzilla or King Kong or whoever step on someone, this is what you want to see in the aftermath. And God bless him. King Kong 76 gives it to you.
0: But then Kong, in my opinion, very unceremoniously, he just steps on Fred Wilson, our villain, and he's gone from the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was actually a thing that they did in editing because in the original film, he almost gets crushed and then Kong keeps moving and he survives. And so yeah. when they, they test-screened it, people were like, fuck that shit, man. He needs to die. And so they cut it so that you you see what you see here. And yeah, it's wildly unsatisfying. I almost yeah. think it would have been better if you just left him alive because when he gets stepped on in this, you had just seen this big puddle of people squirming after being stepped on. And now Fred Wilson, the villain of our movie, gets squashed and you see nothing of it. And right. it's, it's really... It's really disappointing.
0: Yeah, that makes more sense now that you say that. Kong sees Duan and Jack running off amidst this sea of panicked extras, and they're heading over to the greater New York and New Jersey area. And then Jack and Duan, they run over and they get on an elevated train. And then Kong goes after him and he rips up the tracks. It's pretty good practical special effects. Yeah. And in this scene, the the filmmakers are really trying their best and it reminded me a lot of kind of the broader disaster movies of the day. And I got to tell you, I really like this part of the movie. Oh, it's great. When Kong goes, you know, <laughs> apeshit,
1: um, and is ripping off the top of a train, there's a great moment where he just grabs a lady from out of, out, out of uh, the car that looks vaguely like Jessica Lang, And he kind of holds her up and gives her the sniff test and realizes, well, this is that a And just throws her. Like, ah. yeah, sends a woman hurtling to her death. Um, and yeah, like th- there's a great shot, uh, when the train first hits Kong where you see like out the window of the train and this big hand just comes, comes down in front of it. It's really good. Like all this stuff is great
0: and the,
1: the miniature work and all that stuff is fantastic.
0: That's what the universal studios, Florida theme park ride was originally based on.
1: Yeah. I mean, and God bless them. Oh, uh, they, of course they did. Um, it's it's fantastic. I, I to this day there is something about that kind of crappy mechanical Kong that you see at the end on the the subway part that I still uh-huh. really like. Like I have such a fondness for this movie, maybe because. It is so clearly practical that there's there's a tangibility to all of this that sure. that I dearly love and makes it it's more satisfying to me than like the Peter Jackson Kong looks more quote real I suppose but this just feels so much more. Like
0: authentic, yeah,
1: you know, yeah. and and some of I that, agree with that. Some of that is Rick Baker. Rick Baker does a good job in in his the, the mannerisms of calm. You yeah, know, fuck
0: you, Andy Circus. <laughs>
1: yeah. You're not the only one who could pull the shit off. Jack is like, man, we I think I found a back door. We better get out of here. And he, so he leads Juan out of the back of the train and kind of goes down some some stairs so they get away. And then <laughs> we have another personal favorite moment of mine where some helicopters are patrolling looking for Kong. And Kong sees the helicopter and like, oh, oh, God, and he just hides behind a building as the helicopter <laughs> goes by. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, like holds up a giant newspaper. <laughs> it that's like a, a hat, like a, a old brown hat on. and Well, we're <laughs> looking for a giant monkey, but that's just a giant gentleman thumbing through the sports section. Nothing here, base. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Down on the city streets, Dewan convinces Jack that they need to go Taiwan on now that the city is empty. <coughs> right. And Dewan leads Jack into this now abandoned restaurant. But not before Jack looks up at the Twin Towers and he says, deja vu. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about?
1: Yeah, it, I've, seen, I've seen that somewhere before. And then Dwan is just like... Where? In this movie? What are you talking about? Right. When did you ever see this thing? I guess... I guess maybe he saw it when when the snake attacked, maybe. All
0: right, it's a stretch. It's stupid, yeah. and we'll we'll touch on it in a minute. It's, um, <laughs> back in the board, Jack leaves money for the booze that they're stealing because he doesn't want to be seen as a drunk who steals, which is what they're doing. And is that meant to endear us to Jack a little bit more, that he won't steal liquor when you know mob rule is taken over? It might
1: have been, but what he says is, we don't want to get shot as looters.
0: All right. Whatever. Right. In this scene, this movie comes to a complete halt where Jack and Dewan chit chat over cocktails about whether or not they should get married. And I think Dewan wants to have sex with Jack because she's talking about how many babies were born during a blackout a few years ago. The whole scene is completely out of place and it ruins the pacing of this movie. And let me just say right now, this movie really inspired a lot of moments in the Jurassic Park films and i truly believe that this scene influenced that moment in jurassic park where ellie tells hammond i was seduced by the majesty of this place too where you're like what the fuck are you doing you're eating jello or cake or some shit get back to the dinosaurs dumbass we're in act 3 tick-tock let's wrap this shit up you you are not wrong uh, but i th- i think again
1: this is a scene that is intended to build to the ending which is Jack saying "I, you and I can't be together because you have to have these furs. You have to have excitement. And he's like, it's a, it's a drug. You're addicted to it. You need you need thrills and chills and I just need some bourbon. And and so the <laughs> idea like all along the way, Jack is like, I'm uncomfortable with all of this, but she is constantly seduced by the idea of fame. And then we finally Get the fuck out of this bar because Kong shows up and see like Jack finally puts two and two together and is like, oh, the when I saw the World Trade Center out uh, uh, the Twin Towers just a minute ago with the full moon beside it, that reminded me of those big stone pillars back on Skull Island. It's so stupid. It is dumb, but he's like, I know where Kong's going to go. So he has to go downstairs to use the payphone to call the mayor question
0: mark. Right. On his red phone, you know, (laughs) the official one, because Jack has that number.
2: And And when he calls him, he's like, he's like, Mr. Mayor, you need helicopters and big nets, you know, the kinds with the giant metal balls on the end that could hold down a giant gorilla. You know what I'm talking about, Mr. Mayor? And the mayor's like, yeah, 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 we got that
0: who is this who's called okay yeah whatever you want rick jack what whatever you need where yeah no we've got we've
1: got giant steel nets we don't have any steel nets do we i know that's what i thought yeah we've got them where are you can we can we come to you who is he this is freaking (laughs) me out how does he know my
0: name Then quite possibly my favorite scene of this whole movie happens because the big fake monkey hand reaches inside this abandoned restaurant bar, all quiet like, and it (laughs) picks up Dwan. But not before we see King Kong peeking into the window with the creepiest pervert stare and this haunting grin that I will remember on my deathbed. He's just like, hey, baby. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right. look i know this is unexpected i know you didn't expect to see me here at all but here we are i mean how crazy is this that we found each other although here on manhattan come on i'm just gonna
0: grab you
1: and uh you know we'll take it from there one step at a time
0: don't scream just be quiet you know what just sh- just close your eyes and breathe deeply and just let life happen one be let it happen
1: if you're open to the possibilities that's all i ask okay you after tonight if we decide this isn't working we both walk away nobody's hurt but for ten, for right now for in this moment Let's just try. How about that? How about we just try? But I do love how sneaky the hand like, oh, op- quietly opens the doors. And in my mind, he, he, <laughs> he's using his thumb and forefinger to kind of gently turn the knob. <laughs> and he's Shh, Okay. Kong, keep it quiet don't she's gonna be so surprised wait till you see the look on her face oh my god look how surprised she is and that's the grin on his face uh, Peekaboo! <laughs> right guess who it is do you recognize me. me like i know we haven't seen each other in a, a few hours do you, it's me kong do do you know me
0: yeah kong right we we were together on the island we had a blind date one night um i i know it's been a while
1: But look, I don't know if the time on Skull Island meant anything to you, but look, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to lay my cards on the table. It meant a lot to me. And
0: is this your scarf? I think it's your scarf. I just, I wanted to return it. I think it might've meant a lot to you. It meant a lot to me. (laughs) And well, you know, just take it, just take it, take it.
1: So he, he takes Dwan and only now that he's got her in hand does he breaks some windows or something, and Jack is like, "Man, what's
2: that? Sounds like a giant monkey upstairs." <laughs> oh shit! Hold on, Mr. Mayor, I gotta. I uh, hold on a minute. There's a bunch of probably, you know, looters. Oh shit! It's a big gorilla. It's probably Kong. Probably. I can't <laughs> say for certain. <laughs> Mr. Mayor, I got a ski
1: daddle. I believe that a giant monkey took off with my would-be girlfriend. Uh, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll just talk to you later, Mal. After he he gives chase, but. Then we see the inevitable conclusion coming because the military is being equally sneaky as Kong, where they're just like, everybody
0: be quiet. Here comes a giant monkey.
1: Kong, sure enough, is headed for the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. I can't say it. Uh, the twin towers of the world trade center and Kong kind of gets a look at everybody. Like they're all kind of crouched down pointing guns at him. And he's like, wait a second. Where did those gentlemen come from? I think they're up to no good.
0: What are you guys doing here? Is there something going on? It, oh, is this for me? Is it a party? Really? Oh, <laughs> wow. <I'm>, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Hold on. Just, I'm going to climb one of these big buildings. Right, so he does, he starts climbing
1: one of the towers, Jack arrives on a 10-speed, thanks for nothing.
0: Of course he does. Sure. <laughs> well,
1: I was trying to steal a car, but I realized I was too drunk to drive. And then he shouts out to Dwan that the helicopters are coming to drop a net on Kong. D- again, being a complete... Dolt in this movie and not understanding that everyone has lied to him at every step of the way, mm-hmm. and so he runs inside one of the towers to get up to the roof to get to Juan. And then we get a shot of Kong climbing uh, up to the roof with a silver doll glued to his chest, which
0: is pretty great. Yes, it looks very cheap. It does,
1: but again, it's kind of charming. And then some guys with flamethrowers have taken a window washer platform. Of course they have. They decide to give Kong the old hot foot, mm-hmm. and this is again just one of those moments that I love in this movie, where Kong is just like "fuck this noise" and jumps from one tower to the other. It's awesome. <laughs> it
0: what would you so What good. would you do if you were King Kong and three little fellas with flamethrowers started lighting you up? You'd jump over to the other tower. Yeah, and then he picks up a gas
1: tank that's on the roof of the other tower. Uh-huh. throws it at the flamethrower dudes which explodes killing all of the the three flamethrower guys and we get a great jeff ridges reaction where he is he's kind of up on one of the roofs uh, or almost at the top of the roof seeing all of this go down and when kong blows up those flamethrower guys he goes yeah yeah oh uh, he's excited right he's on kong's side and of course, and now that he realizes like, oh, the military is going to kill him. He wants Kong to fuck the military up, which again, my, <laughs> that is my attitude as well. I want to see Kong make it, but, uh, but. here come the helicopter, like the real deal, like Apache helicopters with uh-huh. Gatlin guns on the side that do yep. this like chuka 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 thing as they're aiming at Kong. And th- I, again, genuinely love the ending of this movie. Where they start shooting Kong and it is ripping him up. I mean, it's blood is going everywhere.
0: I haven't seen the likes of this since Sonny Corleone stopped at that toll. <laughs>
1: yeah, it really is that kind of level of just blood. It, Bonnie and Clyde, Godfather, it's it,
0: so much blood. I want you to think about how much blood could possibly come squirting out of a 40-foot tall gorilla and multiply that times three. Yes, And Dwan
1: is trying to get Kong to pick her back up because they, the only time they stop shooting Kong is when they see that she is in danger. But Kong keeps (laughs) pushing her away because he's like, no, no, no. I'm trying to protect you. Like, look, I I knew this was going to be difficult. Our relationship was never going to be without some bumps. And I just need you to give me a little space. Let me do my thing. And then once this is over, you and I can maybe catch a, dinner in a movie but
0: Kong Kong don't you understand they're gonna kill you with all of their bullets there's so much blood it's raining down on me
1: it's ruining my dress I do declare and and there's another great Jeff Bridges scream here where as uh-huh. they start shooting Kong he goes assholes
0: <laughs> it's it's terrific Kong finally just collapses from being riddled with
1: bullets not before he gives like a double axe handle to one of these helicopters
0: and send it oh yeah yeah, yeah. he takes one of them out yeah. it's pretty it's pretty impressive yeah because he went down
1: swinging right and then he does fall and he's shot all the shit dwan starts to approach him and kong looks at her and then just rolls off the top of the building
0: See, that wasn't my read of the movie. I saw that Dewan walked over to him, put her hand on Kong and touched him, and then she unintentionally pushed him off the bed. <laughs> she gave him a shove. <laughs> yeah, like, you know what? Just into the dumpster. I think...
1: Maybe we're better off if you
0: just yoink over the <laughs> edge, <laughs> and and then Kong free falls, splats on the ground, and then as he is sort of laying mostly lifeless, there are three photographers that just run up on top of Kong's corpse or Soon on top to be, of Kong's yeah. almost corpse, and they just start taking pictures. And I'm like, you know what? These guys are earning every penny of their
1: paycheck, right? And you hear as as they're taking pictures, and you see Jack staring down at Kong's body, and Dwan is making, like, teleports down to the, the bottom of the building.
2: I don't know how the fuck that happens. Yeah. She's
0: on top of a twin tower, and then 10 seconds later, she's right beside Kong. I didn't- On the ground. Oh, I do declare, I didn't tell you that I'm actually the Nightcrawler.
1: <laughs> Bamf. Um, no. Like you're hearing the heartbeat of Kong, uh-huh. where it's just you
2: know thum thum thum
1: thum, and it's getting slower and slower until finally it thum, and no more.
2: Nobody cry when Kong when
1: Charles die. Um, yeah, I mean it is it, it's very it, it like it affects me even now. When when I saw it as a kid, it devastated me, and to this day when I watch that scene, it really tugs at my heart to see Kong, you know die as his heartbeat slows to nothing and the light goes out in his eyes and it's it's rough man and then this i think is kind of where the movie screwed up the ending because it okay because it doesn't set up the fact that what happens here is juan like is trying is is surrounded by reporters who are all yelling at her and clawing at her and taking her picture and she is calling out to jack who does not come for her he just he, he kind of stands there somewhat stoic and and depressed Just like oh you killed the monkey i really like that guy and i think the point of the movie is that that dwan allowed the exploitation of kong to her own benefit And she ultimately gets exactly what she always wanted throughout the movie. She is a star, but at what
0: cost? And I think, well, King Kong being dead.
1: Yes. And I think that's kind of the point of the movie. Like, you know, like the reporters climbing up on Kong before he dies and taking pictures. And, you know, the the humanity stepping all over this natural wonder. Um, And I think that's ultimately the point. I don't think it makes that point very well. Even though I think it's there, but I do like the fact that the movie not only ends with Kong dying, which is sad enough, but there's no happy ending for Jack and Dwan either. It's Mm-mm. Jack is like you fucked up and killed that monkey. I I can't be with you, right. you know, and and so he just lets her be surrounded by you know all the all these fawning media people and and that's it that's the end of the movie roll credits as we see a throng of people surrounding the corpse of kong
0: i've always kind of had an uneasy relationship with the king kong movies i can never really put my arms around kind of why king kong movies are made like i don't understand if it's an excuse to showcase state-of-the-art special effects Or is it kind of, you know, an opportunity to create a metaphor for, you know, current cultural norms or race relations or an examination of industrialized nations and unindustrialized nations? I don't know if the movies are about sex, everything about it. I constantly feel like I'm trying to to sort of, you know hold water in my hand and it just constantly disappears. Because at the end of the day, it feels like it should really just be a monster movie, which is why I personally really liked the most recent King Kong movie that was just that, you know, where Sam Jackson and and John Goodman, among others, went to an island and Kong's there and they shoot and blow things up and there's giant monsters. And it's like, that's what it is. There isn't all of this subtext that really complicates a story that could really be much more i don't know simplified but maybe that's me yeah i i I don't think you're
1: wrong necessarily i think that for me it was the idea of here is this you know (laughs) i mean slightly rapey ape um in this movie (laughs) but there there's a notion that that carries over from the original is that it's just kind of a dumb beast however majestic like it like kong is a miracle of nature that is seduced by this woman even even though she doesn't necessarily mean to but kong becomes infatuated with this woman and because of that because of this you know ill-fated romance kong is doomed to die because he he is out of his element like he's dealing with human beings that don't have the pure emotives that kong does you know like i don't know
0: and i kind of i kind of feel like if it's a monster movie then make a monster movie right if you're trying to tell a story that's got deeper meaning you know what let's leave that to planet of the Apes. Sure, sure. But, you know, I think most
1: monster and or horror films, the good ones anyway, are trying to make a deeper statement. I think with the 76 Kong, it is very much about exploitation of the natural world, you know, because, I mean, you're, you're dealing with oil companies, which are already, you know, exploitative industries. And then coupled with the, the Jack character being the environmentalist and wanting to preserve Kong and stuff like that. Like I said, I don't think that message is very clear in this movie and i think there are ways to make it clearer but at the end of the day man this is a rocking giant monkey movie where he's picking up trains and tossing them around and stepping on folks and you know it runs a little long you could probably tighten this up uh by about 25 minutes and and be just fine but i kind of love this movie man i have a great time watching I, like i watched it three times in preparation once just because I wanted to watch it and then two (laughs) times for show reasons and you know even doing notes on it by the time I got around to that viewing where it's like okay I got to get down to the business of actually summarizing this film I still had a great time with it. I I think Charles Grodin is great in it. I think Jeff Bridges is great in it. I think Jessica Lange, even though she didn't care for her own performance, I think she's fine in it. And I think the, the monkey suit work in this movie is fantastic.
0: I, I would give this a solid recommendation that if you've never seen it, you absolutely should see it. Um, you know, and that's, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Yeah. But for our next episode, yes, I want to harken back to the idea that when it comes to deeper meaning, we should turn to one particular franchise, that franchise being Planet of the Apes. And on our next episode of Pick 6 Movies, we will be visiting the Planet of the Apes featuring Charlton Heston. Not that one, but this one. (laughs) The Tim Burton one with Mark Wahlberg and Paul Giamatti and Michael Clark Duncan and yes, Charlton Heston is in this movie too, but in this movie he's an ape, Ooh, not an astronaut. It's a twist. It is a twist.
1: Oh, I'm a monkey in this one, everyone.
0: Uh, I yeah, this is a a truly terrible
1: movie. Unlike this Kong, uh, we are we are headed from the dizzying forty foot monkey heights of this film to the real dregs of this crappy Planet of the Apes remake. <laughs>
2: it's gonna be great
0: so come back and see us again as always drop us a line send us a thing you know the thing and leave us a rate and a review and whatever you can email us at picksixmovies movies at
2: gmail.com
0: we'd love to hear from you and uh, we're looking forward to this season we're just getting started and trust me we have five more episodes ahead and they are all going to be fantastically awful
1: <laughs> yeah this was really the pinnacle
0: it's it's all downhill yeah here. starting with a showstopper so come back and see us next week as we will be visiting the planet of the apes and um, looking forward to four more movies on top of that that are going to be progressively worse than the one before